the social life It's the Darren Show The Darren Show Don't ask if he's single You already know Cause it's the Darren Show A simple name For a simple guy With a simple face It's the Darren Show Hello everyone and welcome to the Taryn Show. Again, it feels like it feels like it's been a long time, but uh, maybe it hasn't. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I never know how it feels to the listeners, but uh, I guess it's been about a week. Uh, I guess that's how it goes. Uh, I've got a great guest with me this week, though. I've been looking forward to talking to him for quite a while. I've got Josh Wiggler with me. How you doing, Josh? Oh my God, I'm doing so well, Taryn. I feel like uh, we've just spent like weeks in the in the foxhole together, and uh, now we're getting to do the post. Mortem. We're getting to do a little bit of a breather now that the war is over. <laughs> yes, very much so. Uh, for any uh, person that manages to find this podcast without knowing who Josh Wiggler is, uh, he is a uh, great friend of Rob Sesternino. He works with him on uh, the Wiggle Room Survivor podcast. He does uh, tons of stuff with post-show recaps. He is also a writer for The Hollywood Reporter and and many, many other things. Is that, is that an apt description? I feel like that's basically all that I do in my life so i think you've just described every single thing that i am involved in and literally nothing else i guess i eat and sleep and breathe but that's about it that's everything else yeah those are things that i uh, don't do unfortunately (laughs) as a robot um (laughs) so uh yes we we just finished uh wrapping up first one out uh which was a a big project that we had been working on for quite a while and it's you're right like it does feel like uh you know we just uh stepped out of the foxhole and i was like man here we go talking to josh again and then i realized like i think this is actually probably the first podcast we've been on together yeah i'm trying to think if there is anything that you and i have appeared on at the same time together and i don't think so i mean that was one of the big appeals of this project to me when i started talking to to rob about putting this together and he was like well if we're gonna do this the guy that i want to edit it is taryn armstrong like he's my guy he is the one who's going to be you know he will deliver a perfect product here and i was excited about it because as you well know i'm not a big brother guy no shots nothing like that it's just not my show uh so i'm not super well versed in the big brother side of the RHAP universe. Uh, So you and I have not had a ton of opportunity for crossover. We've certainly met We've hung out at, you know, the know-it-alls and stuff like that. And we've talked before, uh, but we've never worked together. So this was our first time working together. And now this is our first time podcasting together. So it's exciting. I feel like uh, I feel like I'm getting to know a, a new friend here. Yeah, Taren, it's the, the start of a, a beautiful friendship. Indeed. Yeah. All right. So let's get right into this, Josh. Uh, can you tell, like, wh- where did you grow up? Because uh, I see you at the, the New York know-it-alls all the time. But you're right. also, like, all always talking to, like, these, these big Hollywood actors. So... Where where are you located? I'm I'm from New York. I am of New York. Uh, I am currently living in Brooklyn, where I have lived on and off for the past decade or so. I've lived in New York City for the last ten years. Um, but I am a lifelong New Yorker, uh, much to my chagrin. Sometimes I grew up on Long Island, uh, about forty five minutes away from New York City. So New York City has always been a huge part of my life. Uh, I went to uh, I went to school in New York. I went to school at Syracuse University. Um, so I do. Try travel a lot for work and especially this past year uh traveled a a hell of a lot um and didn't spend a ton of time in new york or at least not a ton of consecutive time in new york uh but that you know those optics aside i've never been outside of the state of new york for longer than i think 
three or four weeks at a time. Uh, you know, it's this is my home base. This is my state. This is my place. And I and I love it. But I do have that travel bug. Like I do have that itch that I need to scratch because I just sometimes I just feel like I got to get out of here. You know, it's a it's a big state. But, you know, y- you want to learn more about the world than just the place that you were you were born and raised, even though Syracuse is unrecognizable from uh, the, the part of New York that I currently reside. Well, uh, what was it like growing up there? Um, in on Long Island, it was great. It was really fun. Um, I I'm very lucky that I uh, that the 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 closest people in my in my life. You know, I've met a lot of great people over the years. I've met a lot of great people through work. I've made a lot of great friends um, through college. I met my wife in college. Uh, but like the 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 core friend group that I that I had as a kid and still have today are all from Long Island. Uh, there's like a group of nine of us uh, that are uh, that are all still really super close. And that happened, like I started becoming friends with those guys probably around. Um, it was like a hodgepodge. It's a, to- it's a total journey that's going to bore the shit out of people if I really go deep down into that rabbit hole. Uh, but one of my good friends, uh, my best friend of all time, is uh, somebody who I've known since I was two years old. Uh, and the two of us, we ended up becoming friends with this close-knit group from the other, like the rival school where we ultimately our schools joined for high school and so it became nine of us and so we were very very tight in high school remained like probably like inappropriately close in the years afterwards we're like probably some of our growth was stunted by the fact that we just like didn't branch out too far from uh from each other uh so no it was tons of fun and like we grew up making movies and having epic manhunt sleepover parties where we would just like race around the woods like really great neighborhoods with lots of uh like expansive backyards and just like tearing up the lawn and uh yeah, ask me about my war movies sometime. I mean, those were <laughs> those were pretty epic. Those were fairly epic undertakings that we took on. It was a fun childhood. It was really really great. So, well, so you you talk about like making movies. Uh, obviously, you know, TV, movies, entertainment in general is a huge part of your life. Uh, when when did that start? Was there an obsession with that at an early age? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think you got to blame my parents for this one. Uh, 1992, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. <laughs> drops in theaters and uh my parents are fantastic like my mom is the sweetest human being on the planet uh i have like i can count on two hands the times i've seen her do anything that would even be like slightly classified as mean uh my dad maybe not so much definitely a gruffer guy a super genius he's a really really brilliant dude uh but not exactly like the most socially savvy human being on the planet and maybe not always in touch with what's appropriate for children so with my mom just kind of being like a very easy yes person not really being in tune with what's appropriate for a kid of seven years of age to go and see in the movie theaters they decided to take me and my brother to terminator 2 judgment day i was seven years old highly inappropriate to be watching that movie as a seven-year-old but i loved it it resonated with me i enjoyed it tremendously the action was spectacular uh, i became like a huge schwarzenegger dork very quickly thereafter um, I remember I remember writing to him because like I got like this like Schwarzenegger for kids book that had like a like a fan mail address in like the back page. 
and I wrote to him and like drew like a picture of him as the kindergarten cop and stuff like that <laughs> uh, and things like that, I suppose I should say, uh, and got a signed autograph of him back in the mail. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the universe. Clearly, it was just like some secretary who just like, you know, has like a bunch of like printed out signatures uh, that she sent my way. But I thought it was the most incredible thing uh, of all time. And yeah, basically from that point forward, I was just I was watching anything I could I could get my hands on Um, the next like inappropriately uh, the the next inappropriate for my age movie that I can remember watching is Aliens. So another James Cameron flick uh, that my brother and I were both really hooked into. We watched it on TV. Uh, So it wasn't like quite as like full on R rated as our Terminator 2 viewing experience was, but it's still pretty intense. Um, So from a really young age, like I really enjoyed uh, I enjoyed movies that had, you know, this sort of sense of surrealism, uh, you know, this sense of the spectacular, uh, some true spectacle behind it. Uh, I I was like just immediately just like an action movie junkie specifically. Uh, And things kind of spiraled from there. And I got a chance to, to, you know, um, to exercise some of that interest in the friend group that I made, uh, the, you know, the connections that I started making around like seventh or eighth grade. Uh, there's this one kid who, uh, who I made, um, I made friends with in math class. Uh, we have our own whole sorted legendary history that predates all of that. But again, that's too boring. Uh, but we, we became friends in math class because we were sat next to each other. It was a very boring math class. I stabbed him in the leg with a pen as a joke one day and thought it was a closed, uh, closed pen, but it was a full-on pen. It was a full-on stabbing. Uh, and from that point forward, I don't know, I guess he forgave me or this is like a long simmering revenge plot on his end and he has yet to execute his master plan. But he and I started making um, horror movies together. The uh, the unproduced jugular uh, was our was to be our first effort, uh, which was I don't even remember what it was about. It was some sort of like complete shameless scream ripoff. Uh, scream was really hot at the time. Uh, and we quickly segued from horror movies to action movies and war movies, specifically the No Glory franchise, where I played Corporal Conway Jeffers, uh, sometimes Colonel Conway Jeffers, depending on who was reading the lines and got the military title wrong. Although we got all of the military details wrong. Uh, but that was really fun. We made two of those movies and they were a blast. And it's a miracle that we're alive because we would like set shrubs on fire. We would strap <laughs> fireworks to our chests. It was very, very like it was really dangerous. Like we're all really lucky that we made it out unscathed. But yeah, that was predominantly, uh, you know, my youth was uh, making movies with these guys. Our, our tastes changed a little bit as we progressed through high school and into college. We started uh, shifting away from that stuff. Um, but simultaneously with all of that, like I was really into into movies and TV the whole time. And I remember very much reading uh, movie websites when I was, um, you know, like an 11th grader in computer class, uh, like darkhorizons.com was my jam. Uh, the now disgraced Ain't It Cool News, unfortunately, was one of the first sites that uh, that really hooked me into this side of um, in, into this side of really, you know, wanting to know every detail, like who was going to be in this movie, uh, what movies were even in development, just like kind of being plugged into all of that. So 
long before I got into doing any of this professionally, I was uh, I was super into it, you know, whether it was making our own like really super cheesy, terrible action movies or reading about the actual action movies that were coming out or any movie, really. Um, so, yeah, so that I, I, I come by it honestly. Like I, I definitely, <laughs> you know, I've been a nerd for it for a while. Yeah. You know, I uh, you, you reminded me of, uh, you know, I, I moved a few times when I was a kid and uh, I remember that like the first friend that I made in one of the schools that I moved to was because we were on the bus and like we somehow found out mutually that we both watched Dragon Ball Z. Yes. <laughs> and like that was such a thing that I like never would have wanted to tell anyone at the time. Uh, but we were like, oh, my God, you watch this show. And I, I had no idea that anyone else even knew what this thing was. Um, and like we we totally bonded over it. And like we used to we didn't have like a camera to make movies, but we used to like play act movies together all the time. Uh, and in high school, I we we made a with a different group of people. We made like a, a, a parody of like a huge mishmash of different things, like 300 point break Batman. Like nice. uh, it was all in one. Uh, but yeah, it, it's very it, you remind me a lot. Uh, your childhood reminds me a lot of, of my own in that way, because I was also obsessed with movies and and. And, um, and all that stuff. Like, I, I think for me, what really appealed uh, to me was like the escapism of it, like, you know, escaping into a different world and, and um, you know, getting to experience things through other people's perspectives and sort of like understand how somebody might react in this kind of scenario. Do you, do you think that's sort of what drew you to this? Yeah, 100 percent, especially because like in those early years where I was really starting to like find my love for uh, for film and for TV, uh, you know, I didn't have a great friend group at that time. Like I said, like my best friend, you know, since two years old and he and I have been super, super close forever. Uh, you know, we went to sleep away camp together and, you know, I spent an unhealthy amount of time in and out of the summer camp rotation. Um, but other than other than that, like during like the school year. Uh, until I started meeting, you know, the people that ended up being my really, really close friends and still are, um, I didn't really have a lot of close friends. I had, I had Ben and that was basically it. And I had my brother who's also named Ben and that was basically it. Um, I had like a, a few friends that were like kind of like casual friends in like, you know, fourth, fifth and sixth grade, but I just didn't, I didn't connect with them. I didn't really feel like, uh, you know, we had interests that aligned. And as much as you can be like a really bummed out kid at fourth, fifth and sixth grade, I was like, I, I felt really lonely. Uh, and like what you're saying about the Dragon Ball Z stuff, like that really resonates with me, uh, where I was like a huge action figure kid. Like I had tons of GI Joes. Like those were my friends. Like I would play these epic games with my GI Joes. Like uh, I was a big, uh, I was a big uh, JRPG fan as well. Like I would play tons of Final Fantasy on my Super Nintendo and everything. And then I would like come up with my own Final Fantasy games using action figures. And like there was like one other kid that was into action figures as well. Uh, and we would come up with these elaborate role playing games with them where like we would like, <laughs> you know, drill down and invent our own games and our own universes and then present them to each other after like weeks of development at a sleepover party they were called quest games yeah. that's what we called them we called them quest games i was never into like magic cards i was never into dungeons and dragons or anything like that we created our own stuff with like gi joes as like the avatars and this guy was a uh, was a grade older than me and he's still like you know friend we're still friendly we don't talk a lot anymore but he moved on like he like he found like other stuff and like <laughs> other interests. And here I was like, you know, sixth grade going into seventh. And I was like, oh, man, I still really like G.I. Joe's like they're still my friends. 
and then these friends that I started to make, like not all of them, but uh, but Nick, the guy I mentioned earlier, who I who I stabbed in the leg, he and I were both mutually into action figures and stuff. And like finally, like I found a person, like I found somebody who I could like channel all of these interests in uh, and like combine our experiences and like those unhealthy interests, uh, you know, have become very productive for us in our modern lives. He's a filmmaker in his own right. And I'm doing what I'm doing now. Um, but there was this sense even before, you know, I met him and before I met my other, uh, you know, like my solid group of people that like I would just like pour myself into these fantasy worlds uh, because I didn't really like the real world. I, I wasn't a huge sports kid. I know that comes as a shock. Uh, you know, I wasn't a huge outdoors guy. I was very much indoors and I was very much in my own head. And I think that I was very fascinated by the stories that I was seeing on screen um, I think that I was very intrigued by the idea of making my own stories and living out in those worlds because those worlds seemed a lot more compelling than the world that I was actively living in. So, yeah, I think that that was very much a draw, just this idea that like you could get absorbed in this entire other universe of your own making and, you know, the, the limits of, of imagination just like kind of being unshackled. You know, if I were really to trace it back, I think that that was, yeah, I think that was a, a huge part of it for sure. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, we played with GI Joes as well. I didn't even, I'd never like watched the show or anything like. I didn't know who these characters were, but we had like the the big metal face guy and yeah. then like the mastermind guy. Uh, we'd uh, we'd play around with those. It was, uh, it was a blast. Destro is, I think, yes. the metal face guy. I would expect that you're talking maybe Dr. Mindbender is the mind control guy potentially, but maybe. who's to say? Who's to say? <laughs> I, was in, I was in on G.I. Joe. A lot of that knowledge is gone now, but I, I was so in. I was so in on G.I. Joe when it was a... Uh, when it was a thing in my childhood, like I could still like you could probably hold up a few of these characters and I could I could maybe identify, you know, 50 to 60 percent of them just on site. But uh, back in the day, I was, you know, that was that was my thing. Talk about, you know, like survivor trivia or lost trivia. Like I used to have G.I. Joe. <laughs> well, well, when you're when your only friends were uh, Ben and your brother, Ben, did you call them the Ben's? Uh, I have this thing where I have a ton of Ben's in my life. It's very, <laughs> it's very odd. Uh, I've got my best friend since I was two. His name is Ben. My brother is named Ben. My best friend from college, who has actually appeared on a post-show recaps podcast long ago during uh, the original run of Lost Lives, his name is also Ben. Uh, I was just the master of ceremonies at his wedding, which was really super fun. Uh, a bunch of Bens from camp, uh, one of whom was roommates with myself and friend Ben, best friend Ben, uh, straight out of college. The three of us lived together in Brooklyn. So two Bens, one Josh a very familiar dynamic for me. Lots of Ben's in my life. If your name is Ben, odds are that we're going to get along just because I've yet to meet a Ben that like I truly loathe in person. <laughs> like that would be hard. That would be difficult. All right. Well, I think that's a challenge. If you're really hard to get along with Ben, uh, Josh Wiggler is your only hope. I'm your guy. I'm your guy. Um, so when did you start to get into Survivor and like the reality TV kind of world? Yeah, I mean, so I'm really not into the reality TV world <laughs> is the, the thing. It's like I'm really into Survivor. I mean, I'll, I'll, I love Top Chef, obviously. Uh, I did. I did watch like Real World and Road Rules like at the at the height of their popularity uh, in in the 90s approaching, you know, the 2000s and stuff. Um, but really, it was it was Survivor. And I was really I was really reluctant to get into it. Um, I had, you know, Survivor was the thing when it came out. Uh, it was, you know, anything that anybody it was the only thing anyone was talking about. Um, and I was actually 
driving around with my friend Nick and his mother, who is a legend named Karen, who is uh, this incredible German woman who is just spectacular. And Karen and Nikki were just like talking about Survivor nonstop. And I was like, what are you guys talking about? What is this thing? I have no idea what you're even referring to. You know, like people eating bugs in the jungle. What is this nonsense? Uh, and they're like, well, it's about to end. Like the, the show is about to wrap up. Uh, we're up to the final episode. There's going to be this huge party at, uh, at this kid's house. You should come. Like all the parents are going to be there. All the friends are going to be there. Give it a shot. Take a look. See what you think about it. So it's like, all right. I mean, you know, I, I actually like these people. Like I have people in my life that I like now. So I would like to spend time with them. Uh, so I, I went to this party and instantly I was hooked. Like the whole like idea of, Richard Hatch hopping off of that challenge and then going on to win the thing after like in the days leading up to it, the word that I kept hearing over and over and over again was Rudy, 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 like Rudy's going to win. Rudy's got this. We want Rudy to win. And I, I was, you know, completely unattached. Uh, I had no emotional attachment to the outcome. Um, but I but I went and I and I saw it and I watched that Richard Hatch move and I thought that was so cool. I thought it was awesome. And just like the whole episode was played out in such a way that I thought was really compelling. And I was like, OK, I will I will totally give the next season a try whenever that comes out, because they had already announced at that point. I think that, you know, in the Bryant Gumbel reunion special, there is this shot of probes in the Australian Outback. So, you know where they're going and, you know, it's coming back. So it's like, OK, whenever it comes back, I will be fully in. Uh, and I remember like, you know, this was back when Survivor was like so popular that castaway previews were like in the New York Times and like in the papers and everything. And I remember like cutting out, you know, like, pay, like pieces of, uh, of of newspaper that just like had like bios on castaways and everything like that. And like really trying to do my research into Survivor and like to like be like, like, like tuned into like having someone to root for. Um, and so season two was my first season that I was watching all the way through and all the way in uh and yeah i mean it hooked me much like it hooked you know so many people that first season and much like it hooks people in whenever you encounter it i think uh and like really give it a shot it hooked me and there's only two sets of seasons that i didn't watch live uh that was vanuatu and palau uh, i was a sophomore in college i had other things going on so i just wasn't watching the show which is ironic because i was actually at syracuse at the same time that eliza was at syracuse while she was on the show while vanuatu was airing and that wasn't enough to to hook me in which is kind of crazy um so i didn't i didn't watch those two live and i didn't watch china and micronesia live i went back and i and i watched those two sets um, but otherwise, yeah, I've been, you know, I've been hooked in ever since. It's it's funny. I feel like uh, it's pretty rare to find somebody that didn't take a break somewhere uh, in Survivor. And it's usually right around that sort of, uh, you know, 10 to 18 period. Right. Um, which the I, middle I, ages. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's not like they're bad seasons either. Like, those are all good seasons. But Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think, I think it depends on, like, where you're coming from with it. I think especially like, people who are newer fans, like, those are the seasons now that are, like, kind of, like, those are discoverables, you know? know like you'll go back into the archives and you'll find those middle seasons i don't even know if we can call them the middle seasons anymore <laughs> considering <laughs> how old are we uh you know there's that but i i do think um you know you you go you go really hard at survivor if you get into it 
You know, like it really becomes a thing that you focus a lot of attention on, or at least it becomes a thing that I focus a lot of attention on. And in my younger years, like I, I really had to, I had to step away from it uh, at, at a certain point in time. Like I used to, I used to play in online reality games. I used to like host ORGs, like on the, on the AOL, uh, like AOL days, we used to have like tribals and chat rooms and you only knew the email addresses for the tribe that you were on and then you merged and you'd get everybody's contact info. It was a ton of fun. I had such a blast with it. Um, but, you know, I think that stopped for me right around All Stars, uh, which I know for many people was like a huge bummer of a season. But for me, um, I had like a hard adjustment period to college and that was my freshman year of school. And so it was a huge outlet for me uh, was was Survivor because like it was a familiar thing. Like I had a few shows that were just like easy to like pour my brain into and like not have to worry about like social stuff because I get anxious. Like I'm not, I'm not great socially at first glance like i need to like i need to find my people like i need to find like my anchor of people and it's hard for me to like really break into that area uh and certainly was during uh you know as i mentioned with high school and certainly with college it was kind of a similar story and survivor was like comfort food for me where like that was on and i i had like my my hooks into the org scene back in that time and i was really devoted to that and you know midway toward the end of freshman year i i found my college people who are the people that i'm still super close with from from college and i think that 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 sophomore year that full year after uh after freshman year i i kind of just wanted to be all in on that um and i just i you know lost became our show like survivor wasn't really a thing for us lost was like the the obsession for this group of people and then um I, i'm trying to remember what was the what was the season that would have been would have been on i guess it would have been the guatemala and panama extravaganza would have been my junior year of college and I was quietly, privately watching Guatemala. I was like, well, I should get back into Survivor. And then Panama hit and I was like, Guatemala was really fun. I really enjoyed Guatemala. You guys should try this show with me. Like, you know, we like Lost. We enjoy Lost. This is like real Lost without like the supernatural stuff. Uh, and everyone in my in my house, we had a house at that time in Syracuse, like gave it a shot. And went all in on it. And, you know, not all of those people are still watching the show, but those uh, that like that, that, that uh, semester, the Panama uh, season followed by Cook Islands and Fiji, not like necessarily like the most like, like, like the sexiest run of Survivor, <laughs> I don't think. But they were in. Uh, they were super in. So that was fun. That was like kind of where, where Survivor uh, woke back up for me. Um, and then coming out of college would have been China and Micronesia. And I was just focused on getting a job and keeping a job. So uh, had to had to walk away from Survivor for a little bit. But I do think that you can get burned out on Survivor. Uh, it's very understandably so. You get really invested in these people and these characters and these stories. So, uh, you know, that simultaneously happening with like life developments. I just had to I had to put it on the back burner for a minute. Well, you talked about like sort of using like Survivor or, or any other shows or, or fandoms as a way of sort of uh, finding your people. Um, do, you, do you think that that is part of why you enjoy those things so much? Or is it that uh, that you do have trouble connecting with people? So you dive into these worlds and then you find other people who also have trouble connecting. Like, is it the chicken or the egg here, do you think? Yeah, damn. Uh, I think I <laughs> I think it I think it starts that way certainly for me is like I'm not the kind of person that can go like when I go on a work trip uh and like it's like a big press uh junket or something like that and there's all these reporters who know each other really really well I have a really hard time striking up a conversation with anybody uh it's really not a natural thing for me um maybe that's surprising cuz I'm you know I'm pretty bright and bubbly 
on the podcast. And I certainly uh, have a, a good case of, of verbal diarrhea that uh, that comes from time to time. But in terms of like just meeting people for the first time, I'm really bad at it. Uh, I think I give off a really terrible first impression if you're just meeting me in person for the first time. Um, it's just it's just not comfortable for me. So I do think that there is a, a degree with which, um, you know, I threw myself into these worlds and into these fandoms and into these shows uh, primarily because like I could I could engage these characters and they were talking to me and we were having this conversation that wasn't really real but it was it was meaningful uh you know it was it was one-sided but i was able to like you know divine meaning out of uh out of watching these characters go to work uh and through that you would find people that felt similarly or at least had a similar level of interest or at least interest in these shows as well and i think that that has always been a shorthand to uh to getting to connect with people and getting to bond with people i mean it's certainly a huge part of why i love rhap and being a part of the podcast is like you know we're all in this together like we all love this show like probably more than we should like in, at, at times like inappropriate levels of adoration for survivor and all these shows but we all get it like we all get where each other's coming from and we all get to talk about it and kind of you know commune on the same topic so I think it's a, it is you know chicken and the egg for sure. Damn, I do think that it's kind of you know this circular thing. It's a it's a vicious cycle, as Fat Bastard would say. <laughs> like it's hard to know where it stops and where it starts. But uh, definitely, uh, I think for me, it was a feeling of like wanting to connect, not being very good at connecting, being really good at connecting with a universe that doesn't have to connect back to me other than what I divine from it. And then that being kind of a gateway into into getting to know some other people for sure. Yeah, I I, I think that's you know I, I think it's kind of one of the awesome things about about shows, entertainment, all of it in general is that it can be this place where you can go. And uh, I, that's definitely what it was for me when I was a kid. Just, you know, I, I often say that I was like raised by by TV and movies uh, just yeah. because I feel like like all of the lessons that I learned, whether it was socially or really anything uh, came from TV. Uh, like I remember like uh, dealing with with uh, like like really trying to deal with and understand death for the first time by yeah. watching ER like uh, <laughs> <laughs> um like it's and it, it it's it's so powerful and meaningful to me and then when you find other people who have their own relationship with this other thing with this thing that you have a relationship with it really does immediately open up a bond with them where you can like uh you know you just immediately are able to share that connection and uh that's that's really what i love about the podcast and 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 all of this is that like i've i've opened up to all of these people like i when i was when i was a kid growing up watching big brother I, I or and survivor i was like uh yeah this is this is my thing like nobody else in the world does this right and now i'm in this in this huge community of people that that do this yeah i totally remember like being like the survivor guy like you know it's funny because like my friends were into it before i was but i stuck around like i stayed like i was still watching survivor africa and marquesas and even freaking thailand like all of my people were out by thailand no <laughs> one was still in they were all gone uh and like it did 
feel like this was mine. Like I would, I would have my real world, you know, I would have like my real, my real people and my real friends and my real family and the, and the real things that I would engage in. And then, you know, school would end. And if it was like a weeknight, I would come home and either I was, you know, engaging with, you know, a small sect of survivor fans online and, you know, coming up with these elaborate, like, you know, fake seasons with them basically, or I was doing like Final Fantasy fan fiction on some AOL message boards. Like that was like, those were my things that like, I didn't have other people uh, actively in my life that I was real, like, just like, you know, at that time too, like just like screen names, you know, were really who I was dealing with and like nobody really like being forward with their identities uh, in this, uh, in this early internet age that I, that I grew up in. Um, so yeah, so like once I started like finding people uh, that actually were into these things as well, whether that was, in person or online through some sort of, you know, stronger connection like RHAP. That was a, you know, I, I hate to use the word, but it was a game changer. It really was like it was a it was a real it was a real deal breaker for me and uh, definitely helped me to, to kind of double down on some of this stuff. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, so you eventually turn this sort of thing into a career, which is very impressive and very cool. So tell me about how you got into that. Uh, yeah, I mean, so I, uh, in college, I mean, my whole life, uh, I've, you know, enjoyed telling stories, whether that's just for me or for like a really, really small audience. Like I said, like I would do like a Final Fantasy fan fiction. I did a really elaborate Vincent Valentine origin story for anyone who's a super FF7 fan. Uh, that was really fun. That was cool. Uh, I did a novelization of Aliens, the movie. Uh, that like the last act is really just like completely ripping off like word for word the script. It was not it was not great. I was like in seventh grade. I I, I still feel uh, a measure of shame over that. Feel better releasing that uh, into the universe right now. Uh, so I was always like interested in in telling stories and you know like playing with action figures, playing with toys, and uh, you know playing out movies with my friends. So I I think you know for a long time I've always wanted to be a storyteller. Uh, you know, I was into acting uh, in high school as well. That didn't really follow me too far into college. I just didn't feel like I was good enough to do it on like a greater level. But I always wanted to figure out like, what what's going to happen for my life that I'm going to be able to like do this for a living because I'm not really interested in anything else. Um, and for a long time, I really thought that it was going to be I was going to become a comic book writer. I loved comic books, um, not in like a, a granular week you know weekly warrior like a weekly wednesday warrior or anything like that uh could not tell you uh, a lick of like extreme x-men continuity or anything but i loved the art uh i loved the way that the stories played out when i would engage it and college really reactivated uh my childhood love for comics on a on a deeper level as i was finding you know preacher or watchman or v for vendetta or why the last man or any number of these comics that i started to really get into and it felt like a really cool way of telling stories. Um, so I wanted to figure out how to do that. I took a couple of courses in comic book writing and writing for the graphic novel and, you know, learned a lot about how kind of the only limit is your imagination. Like there's really no budgetary limit other than like, you know, the money that's involved in producing the actual thing is minuscule compared to TV and film. And you can really throw anything on the page as long as whoever's illustrating can illustrate it. And that was super appealing to me. And I really wanted to get into that, but I had no idea where to start. I had no clue what I was going to do. I graduated from college without any real concrete path. 
for how that was going to play out other than I guess I'm just going to try and make some and maybe that'll, you know, take me somewhere. That's really the advice that you hear a lot in terms of if you want to break into comics is the first step is you got to make comics like you have to like there's no just shortcut into it. You have to try. You have to fail. You have to hopefully succeed on some of these, you know, like at least creatively succeed on some of these projects. But you have to at least do the doing like you got to get out there and you got to put, you know, pen to paper. Um, So that was the game plan. And uh, professionally at the time, straight out of college, once again, to bring it back to my best friend, Ben, he was uh, he was working as a nursery school teacher at a at a nursery school in Tribeca in Manhattan. And they had a need and several openings for assistant teachers, uh, especially they wanted to have some some men in those roles because it was uh, there were not a lot of men employed at the school. And I'm like I said before, like I'm a, a lifelong summer camp guy. I was a counselor at summer camp for I think it it bared out to like seven years total. I think ultimately big part of my life. So I, I've always loved kids. I've always loved working with kids. So that was my first thing that I did out of school is I worked at this nursery school, which was hilarious. I only worked there for three months, but I feel like I've got a lifetime of stories just from that experience. Uh, and I was enjoying it. I didn't love the um, I didn't love the the power structure there, you know, fight the power. Uh, I didn't enjoy uh, the administration so much, uh, but I was enjoying the work and it was fun. And I figured, OK, so like in my day to day life, I'm having this really gratifying experience working with kids. And when I get home, I can at least fantasize about writing comics, if not actually doing it. Uh, and somewhere along the way in those three months, somebody that I knew from summer camp um, had uh, a job opening at Wizard Magazine, uh, which was a magazine that I had grown up reading. Uh, it's a, it was a, you know, like the primary periodical for all things comic books. Uh, like any comic book news story would go through Wizard. They had action figure sections, like they had um, build your own. Like they had like the, I think it was called like the custom corner or something like that, where they would showcase like readers submitting like their own like custom made like Archangel figures or you know insert your X Man of choice or whatever. Uh, and I used to love that magazine. I, I was obsessed with it. And um, the summer leading into working at the nursery school, I had found out that this guy who I knew like kind of tangentially uh, at camp was like a fairly high up person at Wizard in his daily life. And I only worked at the camp for two weeks that summer. I was filling in for a friend. Man, this all comes full circle. The friend I was filling in for was the Quest Games guy. Uh, <laughs> so, so I was filling in for him for, t- for the first two weeks of the summer. And as I was on my way out, I said to this guy who worked at Wizard, I said, listen, anytime you have any kind of opening at Wizard whatsoever, I would hop on it. Uh, like even if it's just sweeping the floors, taking out the trash, anything you've got, I'm in. Just let me know the second you hear anything. And three months into working at the nursery school, I got the knock on the door saying, hey, uh, you know how you said like you'd be cool to like just like sweep the floors and stuff like we've got a job that's kind of like that. Um, So I left the nursery school and I started up at Wizard Entertainment working in the fulfillment department and working in the warehouse and uh, working alongside like a really great tight crew of like five other people who were the we were the warehouse crew. Uh, Really fun people, a lot of whom have gone on to great success in the comics industry in their own right. Um, And I I knew the whole time, like this was for me, like, okay, 
foot in the door. This is crazy. I'm in the belly of Wizard Magazine right now, and what the hell am I going to do here? I'm in. How do I make this work? Um, so a couple of openings had had popped up for writing gigs at Wizard. Uh, I applied for one. I was very close to getting like a, an assistant editor job, and then there was this whole like snafu in the warehouse department where I was really needed to stick around. Um, I got transferred to customer service eventually, where I was the company's only customer service person uh, during during Christmas time, no less. So I was dealing with a lot of angry people at a really heightened, emotionally fraught time of year. So for somebody who doesn't love conflict, this was a terrible, <laughs> terrible job. I hated it. Um, but somewhere along the way, I think about like three or so months after that, uh, I did end up getting uh, an assignment. I ended up getting a job in the editorial department. And I was an assistant editor for wizarduniverse.com. It was their online portion of Wizard Magazine. It was very backwards. Like you had to like wait like three hours to publish anything because the system was so archaic, but it was really fun. And this was like my first real professional writing um, gig. And I was very lucky to be working with great people. Uh, I was working, actually, I was working underneath Jim Gibbons, who is now my co-host on the Marvel Netflix podcasts here on Post Show Recaps. Uh, he was my editor. He was no more than like six months older than I was, but he was somehow given the keys to the kingdom for the website. Um, Kevin Mahadeo, who has been on Survivor podcasts before and used to be on Post Show Recaps quite a bit. He was a staff writer there as well. So I made a lot of really good friends at Wizard, and it was a really positive experience. I was getting to interview people for the first time. I had never done that before. Um, I, I think that he was my second interview, but I can't remember who my first interview was because uh, he was just uh, he was a comic book writer whose name I can't remember. And I don't think that he's really actively working anymore anyway. Um, but the first so, so I always attribute my first real interview was George Romero uh, of, you know, the of the Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead and all of that for like a DVD re-release of Night of the Living Dead. And I'll never forget just like how like insanely freaked out I was and just like how super nervous I was leading into this phone call. It was going to be like a 15 minute phone or with the guy who is the grandfather of the zombie genre. It was terrifying. And like, I'll never forget like the way that he would talk. He's like, they weren't zombies to me. That was the secret. <laughs> like it was just it was spectacular. Rest in peace, George Romero. So things were going super well. Uh, I was really, really excited about it. It wasn't writing comic books, but it was adjacent. Um, you know, it was close enough and it was it was very close. And I felt like I could see like a path forward towards getting to writing about com or getting to write comic books uh, myself someday. Just the more experience I would be able to make, the more contacts I would be able to make. Um, and then everything fell apart at Wizard. The, the company started to implode. People would get fired every single Thursday, like Thursdays would come around and you were just waiting to see whose head would roll, who was going to get kicked out here. Uh, and I felt pretty safe. Um, like I felt like I had some job security because one of the people who was higher up was the guy who hired me uh, and really liked me a lot. And I was very grateful about that. And I liked him a lot as well, though I wasn't necessarily super thrilled with the business practices that were going on. And I certainly didn't like it that all of my friends were just getting let go. Talented people, like extraordinarily essential people, as far as I was concerned, just getting removed for no reason other than business mismanagement. And these are the first sacrifices that you have to make. Uh, and it started to become clear that I wasn't going to lose my job, but I was going to have my job changed. Uh, and I was getting busted back to customer service because they were destroying the editorial department pretty much. Um, and I didn't want to do that. 
I didn't want to go there. That did not seem fun to me. Uh, so I left. So I, I put in my notice. Uh, I gave him a good three weeks. I always try to give people as much, you know, warning as possible whenever you can. Uh, and I decided, you know what? I've learned a lot over the past year. Uh, I've made a lot of good connections. A lot of the editors who are no longer here at Wizard have moved on to other places. I can knock on their doors and I can see what I can what I can uh, get out of that. And I can refocus on my own storytelling. Um, and, you know, maybe that'll work. It's a, it's a risk, but it's a risk I'm willing to take, especially like it feels like it would be such a backward step while I have some momentum. So it's a scary thing to do. Uh, Obama hadn't even been elected president yet. Uh, I don't think that we'd been like firmly stamped with the hard R of recession at that point. <laughs> uh, you know, like that hadn't really happened. Uh, and so I got out of the door, like I got out just before like things started getting really, really difficult uh, in, um, in every industry, uh, but certainly in my experience in the entertainment industry uh, and started freelancing and managed to make some really good connections pretty quickly from there. Uh, I, uh, started writing as a staff writer for comicbookresources.com, covering the image comics beat, which was especially exciting for me. Cause that's, you know, creator owned stuff. And that felt really close to what I wanted to be doing. Um, also simultaneously was doing freelance work for MTV at the time. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess like from there, somewhere along the way, I think probably through like repeated exposure to the comic book industry, my dreams of writing comics, if not outright died, they're, uh, they're like comatose right now. Like <laughs> they're, they're not active at the moment. Um, but getting to through MTV, especially I started to get to write about film and started to get to write about TV more. Uh, and that started to, you know, really, really appeal to me. Um, and I kind of just, I don't know, I haven't really, haven't really looked back since, uh, since then. I mean, a couple of other adventures along the way to, to get to, to where I am now, but that's basically the gist of, uh, how I, how I started out at least. Yeah. I mean, it's funny again, like, uh, I, I feel like I, I wanted to be a writer when I went to college. Like I wanted to write these I wanted to create these universes that I was living in and, and enjoying so much. And uh, when I went to college and I took writing classes, I was like, ah, you know what? <laughs> yeah. This actually isn't as fun as I thought it yeah. was. Writing is uh, a grind, man. It's a grind. You know? Yeah. Well, it was mostly like every single professor was like... Uh, yeah, it's a, it's like uh, less than 1% of all writers are going to be able to uh, like make a career off of it. And I was like, yes. hmm, I don't like those odds, <laughs> actually. It's not, they're not great. The odds are, the odds are ever not in your favor. Yeah. I mean, when, so I, I always felt like, all right, well, I'll try to be a writer. And then like, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I can just write about TV and, 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 and movies and stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, somewhere along the way I got caught up with, with editing cause I really loved that. Um, but then I ended up talking about TV and movies. So uh, I feel like we like we kind of started in a similar place and yeah. then went in two different directions and then ended up back in a similar place again. Totally. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, I, I, I think that, that like a lot of the people I've had on this show, um, you know, if if they if they like where they are, it's because they really just took a leap of faith and said, like, you know, I, I really want to just go for this. And, uh, you know, starting out uh, in, in the warehouse of of uh, uh, Wizard, um, I think that that really shows that kind of dedication. Um, and uh, it's it's certainly taken you to a place uh, now that you, I imagine, are, are very happy with um, what like what was the freelance experience like 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 what was it exactly that got you to um the place that you ended up 
Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was able to, and it, it didn't happen immediately. Like that first six months or so after I left Wizard were miserable. I was a nightmare person to be around because I was really depressed. Uh, and I just, I felt like I had taken this risk to to jump off of what was certainly a sinking ship. And I mean, like some version of Wizard still exists. You know, you hear about like Wizard comic conventions. They're probably in your city right now, wherever you are <laughs> listening to this. Uh, so like some version of them still exists, but their editorial process was very clearly, uh, it was falling apart. Um, and so it, it felt to me like a no brainer. Like I, I could either like, hang around and just like be grateful for having a job, which is certainly, you know, worth having, you want to have a job and certainly worth being grateful for. Or I could like, you know, it's improbable that I'm here to begin with. Let's try the next improbable thing. Let's see if I can kick down another door. Um, but it didn't, it didn't happen easily. Uh, I was an intern for a little while at Heb magazine uh, in, uh, in Dumbo, Brooklyn. Uh, I spent about three months doing that. And that only happened about three or so months after I had already quit my job. Um, I The first couple of, uh, of outlets that I ended up writing for, uh, it, was, it, was, um, it was paid work technically, but I still haven't seen a paycheck, you know, <laughs> you know about nine years later at this point. Uh, so that was frustrating. And so the first few months were like intensely frustrating. Um, and I got really lucky that, uh, you know, you know, through a lot of like, pers- you know, persistence and like just being like, I'm not I'm not done. Like I refuse to give up. Like I I was applying to grad school at the same time as well to, you know, uh, get into journalism because um, I didn't study it in in college. I was a I was an English and psychology double major and a, a theater minor. I wasn't, you know, doing anything with journalism in college. Uh, and I, fe- I felt like, all right, so I've got like, a you know, effectively a year of experience in some version of journalism uh, under my belt. And if I can, you know, take that and combine it with some um, some uh, some academic education, uh, you know, that'll that'll help me like push further because I was really loving the reporting aspect of it. You know, there's, it's a it's a storytelling art form in its own right um, that I that I really didn't you know have any true appreciation for until I was starting to do it. And so I was really interested in potentially following that as like a parallel path, like if if instead of like the parallel track being like either you're a comic book writer or you're a nursery school teacher, you could be either a comic book writer or a, a journalist. Like that felt really attractive to me. Like that felt like at least both of those paths were, were scratching similar itches. And I, I used to, I used to say like, if this is all that I ever do, then I've got like, you know, I've got like the silver medal as far as like my interests are concerned. I can be very, very happy with second place. Uh, and so I was I was very I, I was trying to get into school. It wasn't working out. I was trying to get jobs. It wasn't really working out. Uh, and I was very lucky that simultaneously um, two different outlets. Uh, this is Comic Book Resources and MTV both had um, work requiring somebody who was freelance and in New York City uh, to do these like on the ground, boots on the ground assignments. Um, and and it started from there. Um, and like the next, you know, several years of my life were spent like in my room, in my apartment, just grinding out copy. Uh, you know, sometimes like there would be like the occasional field assignment, whether it was like New York Comic Con or I got flown out to San Diego Comic Con, the OG Comic Con, which was so spectacularly cool. Um, Started to get to do a couple of set visits, which was which was crazy. But it was like it happened slowly. Um, 
it used to be where like I could I could count on like one hand like the amount of like genuinely like legitimately starstruck cool things that I'd gotten to do, uh, and that was that was that was such an exciting time, uh, and it was really just through through grinding it out and like in between those moments like in between like a set visit the first one I ever got to was Sucker Punch the Zack Snyder movie that was terrible but seemed like it was going to be so cool because I was on a movie set for the first time and it looked awesome, um, like in between those moments was just like sitting in a corner of a room and just banging out 250 word article after 250 word article after 250 word article basically re-reporting the news wasn't very glamorous wasn't exactly what i wanted to do but it was still uh in the wheelhouse of what i wanted to do and slowly but surely i was starting to feel like there's some momentum here and if i just like kind of you know follow this forward if i kind of just trust the process that like i shouldn't even be here like, what am I doing even getting to do this, that there should be more moments of I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be getting to do this. Like, hopefully it would snowball to some degree. And uh, it has, I think, just by uh, by refusing to leave is one thing. And uh, just, you know, like really staying in it. Um, but but it's it's freelancing's not easy. Uh, you know, it really is like you're you're you know, at least in my experience, it wasn't like uh, any kind of like base rate salary or anything. You were, you know, only making making as much as you were putting out. And that meant pretty much no life outside of work for me uh, for the first several years of freelance. And frankly, even even today, <laughs> there's really not not a ton uh, going on. So, uh, you know, it was really kind of like an, an all or nothing um, approach. Uh, I only advise people to like really pursue it if like you really feel like this is what you want to do or if you really feel like this is going to take you to where you want to go um, because you you are sacrificing so much of uh, your personal time. Like you're really you're going to be spending like, you know, all day inside this bubble. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question at all. <laughs> no. I don't know. Well, I am anymore. <laughs> well, uh, did did you have did you have trouble uh, like maintaining relationships uh, with all this work? Like, what? How does that impact your life? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely uh, lost touch with people uh, over the years um, through uh, you know through not making it to certain events or you know just like losing touch because I'm so busy and other people are so busy in their career and that kind of sucks. You know, that's not fun and you know a lot of that has just been like kind of like quietly sort of going your separate ways it just sort of goes that way and if you ever are lucky enough to cross paths again like it's totally fun and it's totally fine and it's like you're picking up where you left off but there were like a couple of like epic friend breakups uh because like i wouldn't go out to a thing and like i would justify it in my mind of like i have to do this i have to i have to i have to be really committed to this idea um, and I think one of like the most like simultaneously helpful and harmful bits of advice I had ever read was um, this comic book writer named Dirk Manning, who uh, writes this column. I don't know if he still does it. It's, if he does, I haven't checked it out in a long time uh, called Writer Wrong uh, for Newsarama.com. Uh, and it would be his advice on how to break into comics writing, just how to break into being a professional writer to begin with. And like he like he put it out there. He's like, if you do this, if you go really hard at this and if you really want this to be your thing you need to know that like you're going to lose aspects of your personal life things are going to like just disappear things are going to drop off and so as that was like starting to happen for me a little bit in um you know like my mid-20s I was like, all right, well, this is exactly what Dirk Manning had said. The prophecy is being fulfilled. Like, this is happening. And, like, it was only, like, years later uh, where, like, I finally, like, got my head out of my ass in that regard. I was like, you can't, you can't, like, 
like you can't be so into something that like you're losing your life over it. Nothing is worth that, at least for me, like your mileage may vary. Um, and so I've, I've tried harder uh, in, in recent years to like really not let the job completely define me. Uh, instead, it probably just defines me like 70%. <laughs> but, I, but before it really was like, it was 100% of what I was doing, or at least like, you know, a solid like 90, 95%. Uh, and I really try to let myself have a life outside of this whenever I can. But uh, it, it could be tough. It could be it could be a challenge for sure. Well, I, I know that you're uh, you're married. Like how, how did it was it challenging to 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 maintain or, or find a relationship? Like what? How did that work out? Well, so Emily and I have been uh, at the great Emily Fox, who appears on first one out in a, in a blink and you'll miss it. Can you? <laughs> uh, she's, she's spectacular. She and I have uh, have been together for 11 years now. Uh, we met at Syracuse. She was the girl next door. Uh, we, we shared a wall freshman year of college. And uh, I was just like the goofy goober next door who was probably imbibing in too much like you know quiet party times and was just like kind of like the nerdy stoner kid that she didn't really want to get to know uh but she ended up being like really close friends with a lot of the people that i became close friends with uh and like it used to be like freshman year of college like we would pass each other in the hallways typically like half drunkenly uh and our only like relationship at that time was she would uh she would shout at me she would go Wiggler. And I would go, Emily. And that was it. We would just be ships in the night. Otherwise, uh, like totally friendly relationship, but that was literally it. Uh, she was dating this guy who was a really nice guy for like the first two and a half years of college. Uh, he transferred out somewhere in sophomore year and they stayed together for like another year afterwards with like some, uh, like some on and off stuff. And eventually they broke up and my good buddy, Ben, who was the, <laughs> the college Ben, college Ben was really close with Emily and Emily's roommate. And and was going over to kind of just like hang out with them and like check in on Emily and see how she's doing post breakup and everything. And just purely as a joke, just like legitimately very much just as a joke, as a gag, I said to him, all right, well, you know, let Emily know, like it's our time. Like now that this is over, like we can finally, you know, make this happen. I know that this is something that we've both been secretly <laughs> desiring for so many years. It's such a fairy tale story with the boy next door and the girl next door. And so I had friends over uh, that same night from out of town who were staying with me for the weekend. And we were playing Mario Kart Double Dash uh, and we were on Rainbow Road when my phone uh, rang and it was Emily Fox calling. And we had had uh, we had had each other's numbers from like a night sophomore year with where a bunch of us were like, how do we not have each other's numbers? That's so, <laughs> so we all exchanged numbers and like nobody utilized them at all until this moment where Emily calls. I'm on Rainbow Road. I'm like, why is Emily calling me? I'm on Rainbow Road. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll call her back or maybe never at all. Uh, and I had this voicemail waiting for me when I got off, which is like, Wiggler, I hear you're ready to go. Well, what's <laughs> up? Make your move. Let's do this. And I like, called her back. I was like, you're a ridiculous person. That's very funny. I hope you're well. And she's like, yeah, you too. Uh, and then a couple months later, I had just come back from the movie Silent Hill, uh, oh. where where uh, I, I came back. It, this, is, uh, this is towards the end of junior year at this point. I came back uh, to find that I had a bunch of, I was, the, I was the kind of kid and still am that like, 
I'll just leave my laptop up. My aim is up. Uh, and like, I mean, no one's really using AOL instant messenger anymore. Uh, <laughs> but I, I used it a lot at the time. And I just had these instant messages from the same night where we exchanged phone numbers and also uh, screen names. Uh, and I had these, uh, these IMs from Emily Fox being like, yo, what's up? Are you awake? I'm the only person awake right now. So talk to me if you're awake. And so we just ended up like talking for like two hours on the internet one night. And then not a day passed after that where, uh, where we didn't talk for the next several weeks. And then on a fateful Cinco de Mayo day, I was never going to do anything about it. We watched Welcome to the Dollhouse. We drank too many Coronas. And Emily Fox decided it would be a good idea to make out with my face. Uh, and the rest is history. We've been together basically ever since. Um, so she's been in this with me for this whole journey. Uh, you know, our interests don't always align in terms of where we get our entertainment. Um, she's not a big survivor person. She does not like Game of Thrones. She watched Lost because I, you know, I really encouraged her to do it. And she enjoyed Lost. Uh, she just, you know, wasn't as like deeply obsessed with it as I was. Um, but I, at the same time, we really do have a great time like watching TV together and like finding the shows that do intersect with us. But by and large, a lot of this is kind of like an alien language to her. But she's always been like stunningly supportive uh, and just always has been such a rock for me. Um, where, you know, any time that I've been feeling like low about a job or not feeling like I shouldn't be here, like I'm, you know, imposter syndrome is a very real thing that I still feel. Uh, you know, I think, um, you know, she's just been, she's been so sturdy for me and been such a steady presence for me. Um, has it been a source of strain, Strigoi, in the past? A hundred percent, a million percent. Um, first one out specifically has been, you know, it's been, you know, not just like a, a huge undertaking, as you well know, Taryn, um, just in terms of like the, the man hours that that went into, you know, like actually putting this thing together. Um, but just like, it, it, you know, it, it, it came up at like a really tough time for us personally, uh, personal losses that happened over the past couple of months. And I just haven't felt like I've been able to be as present as I'd like to be. Uh, so uh, among the many reasons why I'm thrilled that first one out is fully out because now everyone gets to hear it and, and know what we were going for uh, is also just like I can now like kind of like take a little bit of a, a breath uh, as you and I were talking about before we came on here like I feel like I could breathe a little bit um, but there have been moments like that over the years like if a, a really big project has has come up I'll really I'll really throw myself all in um, and it can come with some personal consequences for me, for sure. Uh, I have a hard, I'm, I'm really kind of like a, an all or nothing type of person where like, I'm really, really, really into it or I'm really not. And even the 70, 30 balance is, is a, a hard one to maintain for me. Uh, but I feel like at the, like, if I can't get that ratio any healthier, I at least have to cling on to 70, 30. Um, so Emily's been spectacular throughout all of that. And like anytime that we have uh, an issue that that uh, comes up from the fact that I'm just like so in my own head or so in my own world. Uh, we're really it, it's a really great thing that like she calls me out of my shit without any hesitation. Uh, she's very good about that. And we've always been really good about like communicating our frustrations like really quickly and really early. Uh, so I, I really do mean it uh, when I say like none of this uh, and anything that I've been able to do, none of it would be possible if she wasn't around. Like she gut checks me and make sure that I'm, you know, uh, that I'm, that I'm on the ground and that I'm not like too up in the stars of just like whatever it is I'm, I'm working on. So yes, conflict, but also, uh, she's, you know, she is the generator, you know, she is the electric didgeridoo in the jungle. For me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think that's, um, you know, I, I got the same sense from Rob, uh, about Nicole where it's like, like she was really the, 
the fuel that allowed him to, you know, make Rob has a podcast succeed. And, and, uh, I definitely, I feel like I get that sense from you as well, that like, uh, you know, that time, that time that you were struggling, obviously, uh, like as, as a freelancer and, you know, trying to, to get stuff going, she must've been, uh, the thing that, that kept you going. Yeah. hundred percent. Uh, you know, she's, she is, uh, she's hilarious. Anyone who has met her at any of these live know-it-alls or anything that she shows up to, uh, I, I hope that they will attest that she's just like one of the most personable human beings on the planet. Um, and she's, she's unlike me. She has no problem just like talking to anybody. Uh, she is like super social. I think the first thing that she ever said to Stephen Fishback was she cornered Fishback at a, a know-it-alls in November of last year, I think. And she's like, do you know who I am? And he's like, yeah, of course, you're Emily Fox. We've met before. She's like, you've never met me. We've never <laughs> met before. And we call that full foxing when Emily just goes like all the way in on somebody. Uh, and so she full foxes and it's, it's fantastic. And it's so spectacular to be around. But yeah, no, she's the best. She's literally the best person I know. Uh, and, um, you know, every, everything I do, it's, it's not just like uh, possible because she is in my life, but it's very much, uh, you know, uh yeah I, i'm just i'm I'm grateful I'm, I'm grateful to have her she's my best friend and i don't know i could get sappy about it but <laughs> i'm sure there's other territory we could cover i feel like i've said what i need to say there all right well how did you how did you get involved with with rijp when when did that happen sure i've told this story before but i, I like it uh so i was uh at this point in my career i uh was now full-time at ntv uh technically a permalancer uh which is you know you're you're in full-time but we're not going to give you any kind of benefits <laughs> that's who we are and that's what we care about anyway uh so it's like a full-time freelance situation where i was working at mtv uh i was a, a blog editor at mtv at this time uh one of the one of the uh main writers on their movie and uh on their movie beat they weren't doing much tv at the time as maybe you can imagine because mtv is a network as well and they've got their own tv and they're not really interested in hyping up other tv shows at the time uh i believe that that's changed to some degree since uh since my days at mtv but uh anyway so we were starting to like kind of explore the possibilities of doing tv coverage and like we did this uh i forget what year it was but we did this list of like the the 50 best tv characters of the year that i got to i got to run that program and that was super fun got to interview some great people out of that got to interview uh ron swanson who we named uh, nick offerman we named our number one tv character of the year just because everybody in the office loved quoting ron swanson uh so that was hysterical that was super fun but as that was going on um you know we were i, th I think that we were like coordinating some sort of partnership with another website i'm blanking on which one it was but they had been doing survivor coverage and after we got off the phone call, it was like the editorial director, my main editor, and me. We were the we were the three people on the call. And once the call ended, I was like, man, I would love to write about Survivor. Just like kind of like threw it out there half-heartedly. And they were like, well, then why aren't you writing about Survivor? Just write about Survivor. Like you can do whatever you want. You work here. Costs us nothing. Uh, so that was fun. I got to I got to you know I got the green light, and so I started doing some light blogging for Survivor South Pacific, uh, for an MTV blog. Uh, and then for the following season, like I really wanted to try and up the ante a little bit. Uh, and at this point, like I'd gotten to do some really cool stuff in my career. I'd gotten to go to some movie sets. I'd gotten to, you know, interview people. Like I said, improbable is like kind of the operative word for me. Like it just always felt very surreal. And like, how is this happening? But it seems like it's continuing to happen. So like, just keep trying to make cool stuff happen. And it occurred to me at that time, I was like, well, you know, I had applied for Survivor 
long long ago uh you know in between cook islands and fiji i i I sent off my one and only application emily would only tolerate the one so get it out (laughs) of your system give it a shot there's a very funny video i understand completely why i didn't get a call back uh so i had that dream once upon a time and that dream had gone away but then it just occurred to me, like, you know, I'm, I'm doing all this fun stuff as a reporter. Uh, I'm now being given an opportunity to write about Survivor for a really big outlet in MTV. What if I could, you know, imitate the Dalton Rosses and Gordon Holmes of the world and, you know, maybe make my way out there in that capacity? So that's where the dream for that was born. Um, and in order to like kind of start like long gaming that into position... <laughs> Uh, I, I thought like a cool way would be like to so, sort of like differentiate the way that MTV was covering Survivor from the way that, you know, anybody else was covering it. Like I, I, I felt and still feel, and it's a big part of why I don't do recaps that Dalton and Gordon are so good at that, that like, I just didn't feel like I would be able to break through the noise in that regard. And it wouldn't be satisfying for me as well. And I just like to read their stuff anyway. Uh, but what I could do was like some sort of, um, some sort of recap with like a consistent survivor expert, somebody who is in the field, somebody who has the experience potentially of even playing somebody who has a little bit of an audience, at least uh, like uh, under his, under his wing. Uh, And so uh, Boston Rob was unavailable. Uh, (laughs) So Rob Cicernino was like the first and only choice. Uh, And, you know, I wasn't like huge into RHAP by any stretch of the imagination. I was hooked into survivor enough to know that like, like Rob had a podcast uh, and I knew he was on Twitter. I was on Twitter as well. Uh, and so I just reached out to him and kind of knocked on his door and said, hey, I work for MTV and I'm starting up some Survivor coverage. And I wanted to know if like you'd be interested in talking about something that I'd like to do with you. Uh, figured like maybe some sort of like cross branding opportunity where it could potentially be good for him to like have like a weekly MTV presence. Uh, and it seemed like a good idea to him. Like we talked a little bit back and forth. Uh, I think he, he has said in the evolution of strategy that like, he called me to make sure I'm not a crazy person. Uh, and you know, he was wrong, but he guessed that I, that I was not a crazy person. Uh, and we ended up talking every week about, uh, about survivor one world. The best part about survivor (laughs) one world was the forging of my friendship with Rob and, uh, you know, we would talk on the phone after every episode. I don't think know-it-alls existed yet. I think know-it-alls was uh, for Philippines uh, was when that kicked off proper. So the episode would end and he would go around the neighborhood taking Reyes the ferret for a walk. Uh, and uh, so while he was walking Reyes, uh, he would he would talk to me on the phone and we would just like bat back the episode, you know, back and forth. Uh, and then I would transcribe our conversation and I would post that as a column the next morning. Uh, and it did pretty well. Like the numbers were really good. Like we had, I think we had good SEO on our side. Like I think like Google liked our survivor coverage quite a bit, but I think like some people found us and, and that was really exciting and really cool. Uh, and that season was the first time that I got to go to an official survivor event as a reporter. I got to cover the one world finale, which was in New York. Uh, the last one they ever did in New York. Um, and it was, it was so cool. It was so cool. Cause I, I loved the way that Kim had played the game. I think that I had like rosier glasses towards survivor one world because it was the first season I was covering in like any sort of really real capacity. Um, so that whole experience was super fun. And I felt like, all right, I think like the, tr- it's moving forward. Like, I think we're like in the right place for like maybe a year from now, like I could make the pitch to CBS that like, we've got a back catalog of like really good survivor content here on mtv clearly we're committed clearly we're into this can we like can we you know go to the next 
stage of this relationship. Uh, and so for Philippines, we were we were going to do exit interviews. We were lined up for all of that. And uh, I even got to do uh, Mike Scoopin, Jonathan Penner and Russell Swan did like a press day. Uh, before Survivor Philippines to like hype up the fact that this was like the medevac season and three people who previously played were on the season. Uh, so I got to do that phone call and that was like a legendary moment for me at that point in time where it's like, holy crap, I can't believe I just talked to the guy who fell in the fire. I mean, <laughs> ugh, these days, but at yeah. the time, at the time it was exciting. At the time it was very exciting. Um, and uh, I, I reported back like as soon as the phone call was done to my editor, I was like, oh man, just got off the phone. This is gonna be really big. We've got like a prime exit interview slot. It's gonna be great. And he's like, yeah, listen, uh, we're not gonna be covering Survivor anymore. And I was like, what? Why? This is literally like it's happening tomorrow. How could you how could you do this? Uh, and it turned out that MTV didn't want to cover reality TV that was outside of its own reality TV. And like purely on a logical level, I guess I get it. Even though like E Online would like cover, yeah, whatever. No, 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 no. Uh, anyway, I was furious. <laughs> I was very angry, and uh, you know, like Rob and I were like set to do the recap thing again. Like we were gonna, we were gonna continue that that coverage. And I called him and I said, "Look, this has happened. If you still want to do it, like I have a couple of other outlets I can pitch it to. I was allowed, at least in in um, MTV's defense. You know, they were like, listen, we know you love the show. If you want to cover it for anybody else, go for it. And like, it won't be a conflict of interest. You're totally fine.' So I tried, and like, it just didn't land anywhere. And Rob was really kind." And said to me, like, really early on, even before we started pitching it to other places, like, look, if it doesn't work out, if you want to blog for RHAP, like we're building up a bloggers unit and uh, I'd be we'd be very lucky to have you. We'd be thrilled to have you. It's like, oh, all right. Well, I'm, I'm definitely interested in that. Um, it didn't land anywhere. Uh, so I took all the Philippines off. But I said to Rob at that point, like, all right, well, let's let's do this for next season. We'll do it for for uh, for 26. Uh, and at that point, like there were at that, you know, like no real ambitions anymore. Like it was just like, I want to write about Survivor. It was so much fun. I want to keep doing it. Who knows where it's going to go? Uh, so around the same time that I started writing for RHAP, uh, I ended up, um, you know, I ended up returning to the freelance world. Uh, I had had kind of a, a similar moment like I had with Wizard, where it's like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of spinning my wheels here, if not regressing uh, by staying here. Let's shake it up again and let's let's see what we can what we can make out of uh, another adventure and another real, uh, you know, like upending of the table. And RHAP was the stable element throughout all of that, where like it took a little while to like really find some new work. Uh, I uh, went back to comic book resources a little bit, kind of unsuccessfully, uh, successfully stayed on with MTV as a freelancer. I ended up, you know, it kind of ended up being like a book ending thing where I came to them as a freelancer, was with them for almost three years as a full time guy. Uh, and then ended my final two years with them as a freelancer again. So that was fairly stable, just not entirely enjoyable. And RHAP was the stable thing that was also super enjoyable. And it was just like purely on like a writing level and on a, on a passion level, like getting to, to, you know, cover in some capacity, my all time favorite show, certainly next to lost, uh, was, was really, really, really awesome. Um, and yeah, so I, I came to RHAP as a blogger, some podcasts happened after that. Uh, and somewhere along the way, like I had never really given up on the idea of wanting to, to get out to location as a press member uh, and to cover Survivor in that capacity. Uh, and I uh, had been pitching regularly for about a year and a half and like just getting, you know, nothing but, you know, doors in the face. 
until finally um, I was able to come to, to, you know, to Parade Magazine. Uh, current home to Mr. Mike Bloom uh, with, you know, a couple of pitches of like, I, I have, you know, the potential to, to go out to the finale for Survivor Kagi on. It's a landmark season so far. People are loving it. Uh, I could come back to you with some interviews and they were into it. And the interviews went really, really well, I thought. And it was a really fun experience. And they wanted me on for, uh, for the exit interviews from, for moving forward, uh, which was awesome and happened simultaneously with Rob deciding that he wanted to do some sort of 30 season retrospective on Survivor. So the parade stuff lined up at the exact same time as the evolution of strategy. So things went from like uh, from like zero to like, I would say like 60 as of Survivor One World back to like like revving up to like 80 for Survivor Philippines, then back to zero for Survivor Philippines once MTV pulled the plug. Then like I was like coasting like in like a really happy place with RHAP for a while. And then things just like like the shit hit the fan. Like at the, <laughs> at the same time, we were going like full blast down the autobahn. Uh, and it was it was great. Like it was literally for you know a solid year and a half uh, outside of like my my MTV deal, where like I would start my mornings working uh, as like MTV's like early morning writer, uh, like the opposite of the graveyard shift. Like I was like the sun up shift. Uh, I would do that for like the first like five hours of my day, and then literally the rest of my waking hours for a year and a half were completely devoted to Survivor, whether that was uh, covering the show for Parade or even more uh, covering it for, um, you know, doing the evolution of strategy with Rob was uh, effectively a full-time gig, uh, which was awesome. That was, a, that was a really fun year and a half. It was an exhausting year and a half, but it was super fun. It was really great. Yeah, I mean, I have I started doing uh, the uh, the Big Brother blockumentary, so I, yeah, I can you relate. Know, yeah, you know, you can understand the grind. <laughs> it's like, it's fun, but like you're in, you're so in it. We're like... I don't know what the, I would love to know what like the process was for for you guys but like for me it would literally be like we would we would try to bang out a season every week you know I know that you guys just did the one season but we would like bang out a season every week if we could uh sometimes like two se- like two weeks per season but really we would try not to do much more than that it's a lot of seasons to do in that kind of a time frame so it was all all the way in uh like a, a full 24/7 full tilt uh approach to the evolution of strategy for sure yeah we we basically just had like chunks of episodes because like obviously for big brother like one season of big brother is like uh like basically three times the episodes of a season of survivor right. so it's like uh we do like uh chunks of three uh which is like a week in uh big brother time um and try to try to bang them out that way but yeah yeah there was it was a lot especially the uh the early seasons because there's a lot of uh like uh f- like food competitions that are just like very low rent and like filler and yeah. uh stuff like that but how many uh, how uh what did it clock in at uh the the big brother audio um it was just under 20 hours okay. uh for for season two yeah um and uh yeah i mean uh it was <laughs> it's, it's a lot you know yeah <laughs> it's fun i mean I don't know. I don't know about you, but like I know in my experience, at least when when people will ask me about the evolution of strategy, sometimes they'll like throw out a reference to something that we said that I have <laughs> actually no memory. Yeah, none, none. And when I say like I have like no memory of recording the Vanuatu chapter of uh, the evolution of strategy, I mean it like I, I do not remember talking about that season at all. At least like every other season, like there's something I remember. I guess I remember 
Rob has a great psych bazinga you got pastored moment in the Survivor Vanuatu uh, family visit challenge. Uh, but that's literally all I can remember talking about that season. So like you get in the belly of the beast of, of your work. And I think uh, I think, you know, you you probably find this with podcasting. I certainly do. I have found it in uh, in the evolution of strategy. Uh, I have found it in a lot of the articles that I've written and like the deep dive interviews that I've done. Uh, and I'm I'm certain uh, that in an even uh, more real way, like when you ask like Jeff Probst or a lot of the people on Survivor or even just anybody who makes a show or makes a movie, that the people who engage the material oftentimes know the material better than the author. Uh, <laughs> certainly in my case, like you guys know that way better than I do because I think it's it's hard to like, it's hard to remove yourself when you're like, when you're, you know, in the front seat, if not driving, certainly not in the back seat. You know, I think you're, you're moving the thing forward and you're so focused on getting to the destination and doing it in a way that's going to be entertaining and exciting, uh, not just for, for the people who are going to engage it, but also for yourself. That uh, for me, it can be hard to like stop and smell the roses in the process of that. Like I think in order to like just like survive the process of creating the thing, you really do kind of have to move like a shark. Like you just have to keep going. You have to keep going forward. <laughs> yeah. And so like when you get on to the other side, you're like punch drunk and you're like, what the hell just happened? Um so yeah, I, that's that's my experience in in the creative process anyway. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel like um, for me, it's it's more like I I don't remember what I said on the record and what I said off the record because I talk <laughs> yeah. about this stuff yeah. anyway. Yeah. So it's like uh, somebody will will tweet at me about something. I'll be like, wait, did I, I said that on a podcast? Right. Oh, oh okay. Whoops. <laughs> that was supposed to be private. <laughs> yeah. uh, or they'll tweet me something like uh, like why why do you think this? And I'll be like, dude, I said. Oh wait, no, I didn't say that, did I? That was that was to them before the thing started okay hold on never mind let me explain to you yeah i've had moments <laughs> like that as well 100 percent. uh and there are there are definitely moments uh after um where like i i get i get tweets about like something that we talked about on the blockumentary and i'm like what what is this about i don't understand this tweet at <laughs> yeah. all yeah. and then i have to be like oh wait a minute oh wait hold on <laughs> It's always like, fun, though. I mean, like to like when someone reminds you of a thing that you said that's like, you know, that has obviously resonated with somebody, but like didn't really like either it didn't register with you or you didn't have time to process it. Like I'm all, like it always it always tickles me whenever somebody busts out like a TOS reference that I don't remember. And I'll be like, wait, what are you talking about? Remind me of what that was. And they'll tell me. And it'll like bring back a lot of like warm and fuzzy feelings of uh, the recording process with Rob. I mean, that was really fun. That was, you know, Rob and I had been doing a ton of podcasts at that point anyway um and like post show recaps was starting to develop at the same time though it was you know it was certainly in its infancy at the time um but grinding out the evolution of strategy uh you know every single week basically a season per week uh with rob was uh was you know definitely um uh foundational for not just our like our our work partnership but our friendship you know he's a dear dear friend of mine now it's because like i spent you know basically every waking minute of my day that i wasn't like hanging out with my wife and my cats staring at a computer not even looking through a webcam i can see taryn perfectly right now <laughs> i was just like staring at my computer and staring at a bunch of notes and it's just like 
the friend in my ears, uh, you know, <laughs> which I think is, you know, something we can all relate to is like, you know, I think that that's a, that's a big part of the podcast process. Like when, when you meet somebody from the podcast or, or, you know, you meet somebody who like writes in regularly or is like a big, you know, commenter in, in this space or just somebody who's actively engaged in this space. You're like, Oh God, we're real people. Yeah. I, <laughs> I forgot about that. I was like, it was weird. Uh, when I first saw, uh, Jordan, um, yeah, Parhar, uh, cause not only had I watched him on the feeds, but then I'd been podcast podcasting with him for so long and i was like wait you have a i've i forgot that you had a bottom half to you (laughs) (laughs) you're not Uh, just like some floating guy like yeah uh, yeah but yeah rob Rob, uh rob doesn't like to do the video uh he he just he likes doing the 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 audio chat he's got Uh, you know he's got a lot going on you know he he doesn't want to be judged for his shorts or whatever (laughs) yeah um (laughs) he doesn't want like the live updates of how his beard looks Uh, so yeah it's also funny like um when somebody's going through something that you put out a long time ago and like they're experiencing it like it's happening right now so like i'll get a tweet like uh uh, i i still will occasionally get a tweet from like our winner rankings or something like that from like two years ago now uh where somebody's like oh my god you are so under uh underestimating uh janelle like uh what what is what is happening and i'm like what are you talking about (laughs) Well, two years ago, you made this podcast, and it, for me, it's happening right now. So I'm yelling at you right now. Yeah, I, I, there is like a degree of like being—I don't know if held accountable is the right way of putting it, but like <laughs> being like uh, being like asked about something that you said a long time ago that like you you felt that way at the time for sure. You probably even still feel that way now. Like if you were to re-engage it. You got no idea of like the specific <laughs> of that moment. You you're on to the next thing, uh, but it's fun. I love that. I, I that's one of my favorite things about uh, about what what you and I get to do and what everybody else in this space gets to do is like those those like um, those constant like reminders from the past of like this was a thing you put out once upon a time. Hey, remember this thing? No, yeah. I don't. Please remind <laughs> me. You know, I love that. I, it's it's always so fun to to get ping. Like, there's always just like an immediate nostalgia that that comes with that stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and then I, I'll I'll like go back and listen, and I'll, and I'll be like, wow, I sound like like I'm stoned or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> like I don't understand. I have no energy to my voice. I thought I was energetic at the time, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's weird. The evolution of your podcasting voice, I'm sure, is yeah. something you could track. <laughs> uh, all right so uh, you talked about post show recaps uh how did that get started uh post show recaps how did that get started so rob was podcasting about the final season of breaking bad with antonio mazzaro um you know talk about people who like you make relationships and friendships with without having ever really met the person before antonio is like one of my closest friends on the entire planet and like my entire life and we have um we have hung out in person twice i mean like the second time for like an extended extended week essentially but we've really only hung out in person a couple of times and that guy is you know he is his, his name isn't Ben, but it might as well. Be. He is my brother from another mother for sure. Uh, so he was he was podcasting about Breaking Bad with Rob. Um, and simultaneously, uh, I was looking to explore podcasting a little bit more. I was kind of interested in, in what that could be all about. Uh, I knew that Rob was uh, at least a casual Walking Dead fan. Um, and so I said to him, like, I don't know, like Walking Dead starting up soon. I cover the show. I have this gross like bank of knowledge about the walking dead, just like kicking around my brain. If you want to put that to any kind of good use. Cause uh, when I was a staff writer at comic book resources and I worked for the image comics beat, 
it was like a lot of my job was just like grilling Robert Kirkman about The Walking Dead. So like I, I had a, a really long history with that comic uh, and therefore the show. Uh, and so Rob was like, yeah, that sounds like it could be fun, at least good podcasting. So uh, Walking Dead splits its seasons uh, into into two halves. They've got the fall half and then they've got like the winter spring half. Uh, and uh, we did the fall half uh, right after I think Breaking Bad had just ended and then it went into Walking Dead. Uh, and that was all on Rob has a podcast. And it was going really well. Like the podcasting chemistry was really fun. But I think Rob was just really excited about the opportunity to to dip into scripted TV. Um, you know, he's a, he's a huge television guy, just generally, uh, not just, you know, reality TV, but, you know, game shows as a, as a, you know, as he's said to you, as he said to many people, uh, and a big scripted guy as well. I think he, he saw an opportunity to like maybe broaden his horizons a little bit and, you know, maybe test things out in that market and see if like people might be down for some scripted TV podcasts. And he's like, I think I'm going to start, uh, of, of like a whole second website or like a whole second enterprise for it if you kind of want to, you know, be like a foundational part of it. And in my mind, I was like, man, like that feels like a big leap from, you know, the final season of Breaking Bad and the first half of like a whatever season of Walking Dead to like just like a full on like new full podcast. But clearly you've got some, you know, some good instincts about how this podcasting things works. So yeah, I'll follow you anywhere. Uh, and we went from that into Game of Thrones Thrones. Uh, we finished out Walking Dead. We simultaneously did um, some podcasts for 24 Live Another Day, uh, which was, uh, you know, uh, that first year of college. Again, like Survivor was one of my escapes and 24 was the other. I'm such a Jack Bauer nerd. You uh, you uh, almost got me to rewatch 24 during that because <laughs> you went and rewatched them all, right? I watched yeah. every single season. I went through and watched the whole thing and... Uh, uh, I, I walked away with like a couple of articles that I, uh, I, I ranked all of the CTU agents. <laughs> I went and I, I ranked every single Jack or I ranked like the top 25 Jack Bauer kills, I think is what it was for Vulture for New York Mag. That was awesome. That was one of my favorite articles I had ever written up until that point. So yeah, so we were doing 24. We were doing uh, Walking Dead. We were doing Game of Thrones and it was rolling really well and it's rolled really nicely ever since. Uh, it's really fun it's you know this is the stuff that's really in my wheelhouse survivor is really the outlier for me uh where i really i i am really hooked into into writing and uh how how to how to like fool an audience in like uh in a way that involves them in a way that engages them um with a, a fictional set of characters and like fleshing out this just like elaborate universe that doesn't exist outside of this one specific story or these many stories if it's like a shared universe or whatever uh so that's always as we've said like that's always been the appeal to me so to get to engage that at uh at such a in such a cool different medium, you know, I was just really cutting my teeth on podcasting at that point. Um, and to get to do it with subject matter that was really familiar to me was, was super exciting. Uh, I've gotten to meet incredible people over the course of, uh, getting to do this stuff. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think post show is in a really cool place right now, uh, where we're really finding our groove. I think that it's always going to be, uh, it, there's too much TV, right? Like there's, you know, a thousand shows, uh, which is like only a slight exaggeration. Uh, there's so much television. We are living in peak TV. Nothing would please me more. Nothing would have pleased me more than to have done like weekly recaps of twin peaks while it was on. It's just not possible. There's just too much happening. 
So I think post-show recaps is always going to be struggling with that to some degree of you just like everyone is going to want you to cover a certain show, but there's, there's only so much ability that you have to cover every show that's on TV, which is to say there is none, you know, like Dan Feinberg, who's one of the TV critics at the Hollywood reporter, who is an amazing human being and an incredible writer. His job is literally watch as much television as humanly possible and write about it. And he can't even watch every single show. Uh, you know, I'm assigned to Beats, so I'm not expected to watch every single show. I'm really expected to to watch the shows that I cover and get really firmly, deeply into it. You know, that's that's really my thing, uh, rather than having to just like make sure I have like a huge like shotgun blast of shows that I'm watching. I, I try to stay pretty narrowly uh, focused, um, and I, I think that that's somewhat what we have tried to do with post show. Though we'll do the one offs, and the one offs will be really, really fun when we get a chance to do those. Uh, but I think that, uh, you know, our leftovers coverage, for instance, I thought was really additive to the watching experience. At least that was the goal. And that's been a lot of the feedback that Antonio and I ended up hearing. Uh, we're gearing up to do the same thing with Mr. Robot here in a little bit. That show is coming out again for its third season really soon. Uh, and Antonio and I have really fun plans for that. Um, you know, I think that Rob and I have really found our stride on Game of Thrones, where we are able to talk about that show in an entertaining way, but also in like an informative and insightful way. Uh, so that's that's great. Like that's the you know, it's community building, you know, and again, uh, I don't know where it starts from. Like, is it because like I, I, I'm too afraid to be a part of a community or like I'm interested in joining a community because there is a community around this thing, chicken and the egg type of deal. Uh, but I certainly I have felt the um, the very real and very um, fulfilling benefit of getting to know a vast number of people uh, who love this material the way that we love it uh, and getting to, you know, like, um, you know, like getting getting to like not just like help people out on their commutes, which is awesome. And like to keep people company during the workday if they're having a boring workday or on a flight if they're going on a trip and they're you know looking for material and we can provide something like that, you know, across our HAP and poster recaps. You know, you know this very well, I think uh, like when you when you hear like that you you were keeping somebody company during like a hard time like that's you know that's an incredible thing to hear like it's like it, that's those are the moments that like you know sometimes it can really feel like you are just like shouting at a computer and like it doesn't feel like you're necessarily shouting at anybody in particular but like when you, when you hear that like um that you're involved in people's lives on that level it's kind of profound um it's it's surreal for sure uh and it's incredibly rewarding like you know we're not carrying cancer here we're not fighting wars uh we're not you know uh you know we're not we're not like relief workers in you know a traditional sense but uh i think that there's some emotional relief that uh, that our material can provide sometimes and uh, that helps me during like a really terrible time in the world feel like I am doing something productive. Uh, so I don't know how you feel about any of that, but it's certainly, it's been like a little bit of like a tug of war for me in the last year of like, shouldn't I be doing something a little more useful? And then you do hear from people who are like, you're, you're helping out. And like, just like even the idea of like, you're helping somebody like get, you know, through the day and not have to think about how awful everything can be. Uh, and they could just zone out for an hour and a half or 30 minutes if you're listening on 3x speed like Taryn Armstrong <laughs> you know like just the fact that like you could be helping out for any length of time um 
that it, that's it is it's rewarding and it's it's fulfilling on that level for sure. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's hard to to comprehend. I think when you when you're on our side of it because totally it's like it's like how how do I fulfill that role? But like when you think about it in terms of like how I experience other podcasts and other exactly. forms of entertainment, it's like it, like it's hard to imagine that I am that person for other people. But right, like, because that that thing happens for you. Yeah, you know? <laughs> certainly RHAP has been that for me, and other podcasts have been that way for me and it's so weird because you're just a person yeah. you know i know that you say you're a robot but you are a human <laughs> being uh and like it's it's you know you don't think of yourself that way at all uh and it's weird it's weird that that you you might be doing that that, that i mean like objectively that you are doing that for other people is is surreal for sure yeah and it, and i think it, it again it it speaks to what we talked about at the at the start of this which is that like entertainment can be this this form of not only escape but of of like connection and communication and yeah. like uh you have a relationship with not only the entertainment that you're consuming but then with other people if you're part of the community and um you know it's just it, it really does in some way feel like uh connecting like like i'm connecting with the audience and they're yeah. connecting with me and 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 that that's just a really wonderful feeling like regardless of what side you're on um and it's part of why i love this podcast and like this is you know i started this podcast in many ways because i did feel like you know i wanted to do something beyond just you know talking about uh tv shows totally. and like big brother uh but like i love i love tv shows that's like my life but like i also felt like uh i i think i had a similar thought to you is like like what more can i be doing uh in my space and my with the skills that i have and i felt like um i don't know for me just like having any sort of human connection like you can do that through the 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 tv you can do that through entertainment you can do that through just having conversations and this was just another way of of doing that and and it's something that i've really enjoyed and found really fulfilling and uh again it's it's very hard to like wrap my head around like how it helps other people but especially with this podcast like i feel like it helps me just being yeah. a part of the conversations so like when i get messages from people that are like uh man i your podcast it's like it really inspired me to do this or it's it's like it's really helped me through this i'm like yeah, I totally know what you mean because yeah. it's been done the same thing for me. And like, I'm just, I'm just, I feel like I am a listener that is just like, uh, like getting the the process to happen in front of me. No, it's cool. Uh, I think you're doing a killer job here. And I think um, like all of that, that, that really resonates with me, that desire to just like, you know, communicate beyond like, you know, the, the power of veto, I'm sure yeah. is, a, is a powerful <laughs> thing for you. Uh, and the ability to, to com communicate beyond, you know, a blind side or a big move for me, or, you know, a beheading if it's Game of Thrones. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's important. You got to stay human. You got to, you know, you got to, you got <laughs> got to stay immersed in these types of conversations and i think um you know you're getting a lot of really raw stuff out of out of your guests uh you know in, in the ones that i've been able to listen to because listening to podcasts can be challenging for me because i'm i'm in the writing grind so much and it's it's hard to do both at the same time mm -hmm. and then when i'm done with the day if i'm if i'm done with the day such as it is uh you know i really just want to spend time with with emily and uh and 
just the cat now. Uh, you know, like I really want to just like, you know, just like be with my people and just like be, you know, with, with my family and, and all of that. Um, but you know, when I'm, when I'm traveling, which is a lot, you know, uh, when I'm, when I'm hitting the road, uh, you know, I, 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 I've watched one episode of big brother in my entire life. Uh, and it was the finale where, uh, oh God, who's the cop? Who's the cop? Derek. Uh, yeah, that's him. Uh, so it was like a bad episode to watch, even though I got into survivor by watching a finale. So <laughs> I thought like, maybe this will work. Uh, so I've, I've only watched one episode and I, you know, as a result, don't really listen to the big brother podcasts that much, but I remember like one flight to, uh, to back and forth from LA, uh, in the last like year and a half or so, I just like put on like an LFC podcast. It's like, I don't really know what Taryn's all about. I don't know what Brent's all about. I know Kidwell, you know, but like, I don't know these people. Uh, and like, just like hearing how much fun you were having, like, I could just imagine like, if I was like a big brother guy, uh, like how, how deeply invested in all of that I would have been like, you guys were just like clearly talking alien stuff to me, but like, it must've been so pleasurable to, to people who are so deeply into it and just like hearing your passion and hearing your enthusiasm and hearing your, your knowledge of the game, uh, was, was so much fun for me. Um, but you know, getting, uh, getting to, to hear you talk to people in the podcast space and beyond that space, you know, these are entry points for me into people that, you know, maybe I'm not necessarily able to engage with otherwise. And like people who I know about are known quantities, uh, but, uh, whose stories I wouldn't have heard otherwise. So I think you're doing a tremendous thing here. I think it's a, it's a really fun idea for a podcast and the execution of it is uh, spectacular. No surprise to me that you are that you are a solid executioner. After having worked with you directly, Taryn, uh, you are you are a workhorse and you are uh, an actualizer of the vision. So it's impressive stuff for sure. And I'm really psyched that I've gotten to see that see that firsthand now. Thank you. Uh, well, speaking of, uh, you eventually do succeed at your uh, your long game here. You do make it out. <laughs> yeah, the long uh, con. <laughs> yes. Uh, you finally get to go out for the preseason coverage on Survivor. Tell me how that happened. Uh, so that was um, so that was for Second Chance, and you know it was very it was very similar to what I had hoped would ultimately be the plan. It just ended up happening like a year or two later, uh, where like I figured you know show you know the show that I'm serious about covering it that I can cover it well. I felt you know at you know it's it's again I mentioned it before imposter syndrome. I'm like only like starting like you know incrementally like feeling confident that like I'm at least decently good at this. Like, you know, it's like a weird thing to, to say, but like, I, I always question uh, my, my ability. Uh, but, you know, I was starting to, starting to feel confident with it. And I felt confident that at least I knew Survivor well enough that that combined with like feeling better about interviewing, um, which has, uh, has been its own journey of just like feeling comfortable with that as somebody who's like very, you know, anxious and talking to people like that has been, um, that's been a struggle. Uh, but in recent years has been great. Uh, I, I felt like if I could get a backlog of like serious survivor subject matter, uh, for like a, a, you know, a serious outlet, uh, that I could at least feel confident in making the pitch of, uh, I would love to come out to location if you would have me. Um, and, uh, it was, I think San Juan del Sur had happened, uh, survivor worlds apart was happening and I had interviewed Jeff Probst once, if not twice at that point for Parade. Uh, and I felt like, you know what? I've got, I've got 
the catalog to some extent. You know, I covered the show for MTV. So, you know, round that up. Uh, I've covered the show uh, in my own wiggle roomy way at RHAP. I've got the evolution of strategy. Uh, I have a full season of exit interviews under my belt. I've been to a couple of finales now. Like they know that I'm, you know, that I'm serious about it, that I, that I care about it. So I made the pitch. Um, I was on vacation with Emily at the time. We were in Oahu, Hawaii, uh, and we were going off on a lost tour. We were going to go around and see all of the awesome filming locations for Lost. (laughs) And I was on the Oceanic Flight 815 Beach, the Survivor's Beach, uh, when I got the email back about three hours after I had sent it off saying, yeah, we would totally love for you to come out to location. We'll be in touch soon with the details. Uh, and so to get that email while standing <laughs> on the beach that, you know, like Jack and Sawyer would have it out and Hurley would be hoarding peanut butter or whatever <laughs> was like transcendent. That was, you know, that's, you know, one of the most, uh, one of the most like cosmic experiences of my life. Like I talked about that a little bit in first one out. Like I do feel like this weird cosmic connection with survivor where like either very good things or very bad things have happened in like, kind of like these like transcendental ways and like cosmic ways uh, with this, with this weird show that means way too much to me. Uh, You know, it's like, it's, it's been a very strange thing. So I got that email that was for second chance. uh, And yeah, you know, the rest is kind of history. Uh, I got out there for Cambodia. Uh, I got out there for Game Changers and I got out there for Triple H and uh, I will never forget what it was like to be out there in Cambodia and like having to take a four hour van ride from Nam Pen to where they were filming in Koh Rong and taking an additional hour long boat ride to this uh, to this like dilapidated series of bungalows where we were staying where uh, on my very first night ever uh, on Survivor location, uh, as I was like very sheepishly and awkwardly like trying to integrate with these established people who have been members of the Survivor press uh, for so long. Uh, I was starstruck meeting Gordon and Dalton for the first time. It was crazy to me that I was, uh, you know, on this adventure with them. Uh, that first night and Parvati was there, too. She was doing the the interviews for CBS. I was like, what the hell? I'm hanging out with Parvati. <laughs> this is crazy. Uh, and uh, that first night. We uh, got into the, uh, you know, we got into the booze. We got into some drinking. We got into some celebrating. It was so hot in Korong. It was so, so hot in Korong. And there was no, you know, AC or anything like that, obviously. But there were like ceiling fans in these bungalows where you were staying in where like rats were like running in and outside of. Uh, And there were these two beds in the bungalow. And there was this giant fan that was positioned over one of them. And that was the bunk. That was the bed that was closest to the bathroom door. And then there was the bed that was closest to the door where you just walk into the bungalow. I was planning on sleeping directly under the fan. Cause it was balls hot, very, very, very hot. Um, and so I come back, like, you know, having had a couple of drinks and like feeling just so tired. And I was like, I'm just going to pass out right on this bed here, right by the door. And I did that. And I just like sprawled out onto that bed And lo and behold, two hours later, in the middle of the night, this rickety fan that was over, it was like a huge metal fan uh, that was over the other bed, just collapsed and fell directly onto that bed. So, like, I narrowly avoided a final destination in uh, <laughs> on my first night of Survivor. Uh, so I'll never forget that. And I do feel like slowly but surely Survivor has been trying to kill me ever <laughs> since. So, 
Well, yeah, I mean, you you told the story on First One Out of uh, how you nearly got swept out to sea, right? Yeah, that was very real. That's not just like a cutesy story. Uh, yeah, like, like the tide was crazy that day. Uh, very, very choppy water in the approach to Heroes Beach. And like some of the camps, like you're lucky, like they, they'll have like a... Uh, they'll have like little um, tiny, like rudimentary, like docks uh, that are, you know, nothing to write home about. They're like really rusty, but like you can you can hop off on that depending on the tide. The tide in Fiji is ever changing. Uh, you know, uh, some days like it, it is it is so low and then some days it's super high and just like insanely, insanely choppy. Uh, and this was going to be a water landing had to be just the way that our, you know, the boat was fashioned and the way that you got to that beach. You had to hop off and directly into the sand. And like it was like. Like, it was like it was like a video game where like he just like had to like perfectly time like hitting the a button to like jump to like get onto like the piece of land otherwise he would like fall into the pit of spikes uh and it should surprise nobody that i timed the a button poorly uh and i and i thought that i had it perfectly and so like i hopped off of the boat rather than like sliding off butt first <laughs> i like jumped i leaped and I leaped into a moment where the tide just like it went and I didn't touch the ground. I like it, like I hopped in immediately and there was no ground to touch and it was immediately over my head. And I had all of my equipment. I had my Zoom recorder. I had my camera. I had everything in this uh, canvas bag, mm. a Sierra Club canvas bag, no less, uh, that I uh, that I had around my neck, thankfully, already. And so my first instinct was I just like shot it up into the sky. <laughs> I just like took it off of my neck and shot the canvas bag up into the sky and held it up like Rafiki holding Simba over Pride <laughs> That's exactly Rock. What I was thinking. And somebody snatched it immediately out of my hands, one of the EPK guys. Uh, and then I was fully under and then somebody scooped me up out of there. And apparently um, one of the publicists told me that like my head was like like a foot away from just like smashing directly into the boat. So like it was close. It was it was a close call. It was terrifying. I was just like soaking wet afterwards. But that's Survivor, man. Like, it was fun. It was like, you know, like, I didn't real, I didn't have, like, a full appreciation for just how, like, scary it was because I didn't have, like, the eyes on it. I was more, like, angry and frustrated that, like, uh, potentially my equipment had been damaged. But thankfully, everything was okay. But, yeah, Survivor's trying to kill me, Taryn. <laughs> should probably walk away now. I, I think maybe I should just call it. Yeah. Oh, no, no. I, I mean, you're surviving. I'm surviving. I yeah. guess that's the, that's the point. But, yeah, that's the, that's the story of nearly drowning at Heroes Beach. So it's just can you walk me through uh, like the experience in in Fiji the for this first one out like um, obviously we we uh, we released this sort of documentation of it but uh, what was it like for you like what's the process of, of actually going there? So um, you know it's not dissimilar to what it was like the first couple of times I went. Um, I was the only press on uh, on Triple H. Uh, there was the EPK crew. They're always there. Uh, those are the guys who bring you all the like meet the cast videos and everything with Jeff that's officially released through CBS. Um, but I was the only I was the only press out there for Triple H, uh, which was a first for me. I've only gone uh, in groups before. Uh, so it was like a little nerve wracking. You know, it was, a, it was a, like, you know, a really genuinely, genuinely, genuinely one of the biggest uh, reasons uh, why I enjoy doing this and, and uh, will continue to do it as long as I can. Um, is getting to go out there with like Dalton and Gordon and whoever else ends up going out. Like there, there's a, a real 
a very, very legitimate sense of camaraderie among uh, the Survivor press. And those guys are the absolute best, just like the sweetest guys. Um, so on, on like just on like the social anxiety level, I was like, oh, I don't have like my familiarity coming out here. It's just going to be me. So that was a little intimidating. I'd also never um, interviewed new castaways uh, in the preseason capacity. I mean, I talked to everybody from Millennials versus Gen X, but that was over the phone. Um, so I like had some idea of what it was like to have like kind of that nervous energy of like getting to like uh, like be at the edge of your, you know, for many of these people your long held dream of getting to go out there and getting to play survivor uh, just over the phone. And then like combining that with what it's like to, to see a player, uh, you know, albeit a veteran player, but anyway, uh, you know, you can, you could return as many times as you want. I think that the Ponderosa process is going to be a little bit maddening every time. Uh, like you're really on lockdown. You're not allowed to talk to anybody. You're smart. If you're trying to find other ways to communicate, I would certainly actively encourage anybody who ever goes out to play survivor to try to find those, loopholes i do think that that ponderosa period is a key part of the game um so i had like a sense of like what it's like to be like tightly wound going into that and like seeing that firsthand and matching that with like what the energy was like over the phone with like the with the 33s uh so i was i was excited about like what that could mean for um for getting to talk to some of these people in person, having like a really extended period of time to talk with each person because I was the only person who was out there for the press. You know, when multiple press outlets are out there, you're, you're certainly much more crunched for time than I was for 35. Uh, you know, I really had free reign here, which was so cool. Uh, and just like getting to, to meet somebody who could potentially be like the next coach or the next, you know, whoever, uh, and getting to see them in their infancy before they get to play like a second of survivor was a really cool experience just as a fan. But I was also really curious about it as a documenter, uh, as somebody who could kind of time capsule this experience. And the idea for first one out was born from the fact that, you know, when you go out and you go to location and you get to engage these people in, uh, in the preseason, you're only, you're only out there for about a week, you know, eight days, maybe with travel. Uh, maybe nine with travel. Uh, and you're only seeing three days of the game. You know, you're only seeing the first three days. You're there through the first tribal council. So your whole experience is getting to to meet the players, start to form your impressions of who they are, how they might play, and to watch that translate to the first episode of the season in real time, live and in action, and get to watch, albeit from a distance, that first tribal council and get to see how one of these people who you just spoke with, how all of their carefully laid plans, if they had carefully laid plans, just came apart. Certainly how their dreams just like fell apart instantly. Um, and it's awful. It's hard to watch. Like it's, you know, on one level, it's massively exciting. You know, it's really cool to be that close to tribal council as it's happening. And you've got no skin in the game. You know, you're not, your life isn't on the line in, in terms of your life in Survivor. You're just there as a spectator. But you're so close, you know, you're effectively in arm's reach of somebody's torch being snuffed. And it's a pretty powerful thing to, to witness that. Um, and, you know, for, for me, knowing that, like, that's sort of the climax of my experience of what I get to see when I get to go out there, uh, coupled with the fact that I was the only press out there and, you know, I don't know how easy it would be to get a big group of people over to Ponderosa to interview somebody after they've been voted out. But for me, I was just one person and it was, it was easy enough to do. So uh, I had my pitch to interview the first person out at uh, Ponderosa Greenlit 
and the rest kind of came from there. Uh, I felt like it would be, you know, I, I try, uh, I try to cover the survivor preseason at least somewhat differently every time I approach it. Uh, you know, with like really epic long form writing for my first experience for second chance, um, a little bit more of like an oral history for game changers. And for this, I wanted to do something different, too. And I thought I could kind of combine that look into Survivor with what's become uh, a passion of mine, certainly. And I think a strength of mine, uh, which is the podcast, you know, that that format. And I'm I'm really interested in it to to bring it back to like uh, I've wanted to tell, you know, I wanted to write comic books for a long time. Right now, I'm kind of in this place where I'm trying to figure out, like, could I write audiobooks? Like, could you write <laughs> toward that format? Like, is there is there something unique about the audiobook as a format or like just the, the audio medium um, that you can get away with stuff in that format that you can't get away with in any other ter- uh, type of storytelling? And for me, it felt like I've got this great access to Survivor. I've got this incredible view of Survivor that every time I want to do my my damnedest to to translate that as as accurately as possible to people so that you at least if you can't taste it yourself, you can at least uh, come close to experiencing what I experienced. I really feel very strongly about trying to have that experience translate what I see through my eyes. I want you to be able to read and feel like you're seeing it through my eyes. And with first one out, I felt like maybe you could experience it through your ears. You know, like maybe you can like hear what it feels like to be in Fiji and like hear the sounds of what it feels like to be on Heroes Beach or Healers Beach or Hustlers Beach or what it what it sounds like to to listen to, you know, um, you know, these incredible Fijian musicians play. And, and, and because, you know, we're parking in Fiji for a while, probably. Right. So like, let's, you know, like get a little bit of a sense of what it's like to be out there was was a goal of this project as well. Um, and and yeah, and I felt like I just had an opportunity to like bring some podcasting to bear on the priest season, which to my experience uh, hadn't really been done before, certainly not in this capacity. So it was really creatively exciting. uh, And it was also like a constant like edge of your seat type of thing because I was like falling in love with all of these people, you know, like, you know, it's like it was a long, like deep conversations with everybody, almost an hour with each person, you know, uh, certainly no less than um, I think the shortest was 33 minutes with any one of these people uh, and, you know, really getting to, to know them and getting to feel invested in like how much they have on the line and how much it would suck to go home first. Um, and then, of course, like there was this other revelation that happened along the way, which is I mean, I guess I'm going to spoil the outcome of the first episode of Survivor 35 now slash the outcome of first one out. Uh, which is that Katrina was the one who goes home first. And she just had this, like, I had no idea what I what what to expect. Like, I we, we joked about it in First One Out that, like, I was afraid that JP was going to be the person <laughs> that I had to speak with. And it was, like, a very legit fear that I started hearing rumors that JP was in trouble. And I was like, God, like, man, that would be a terrible way to end <laughs> this thing. Wow, that would be horrible. Like, I, I don't know how, like, I might just, like, cancel the trip to Ponderosa if that's how this is going to go, because he's not going to give me anything. Uh, anyone else would have, like, given me something. Everybody else, like, had, like, so much, um, so much clearly invested in it uh, and had given so much thought to it and had, you know, put so much of themselves on hold. Not that JP didn't. Like, he's just, he's a hard interview. Um, you know, he's, he's a tough interview is what I'll things, say. Things happened, things like that. You know, you know at the end we, of the day, we like, saw what, we saw what happened. We saw what happened <laughs> and things like that. Uh, you know, he's I, shaping up, I think, potentially to be a great character in spite of himself anyway. Um, so, but it ended up being Katrina and I just didn't know how it was going to go. Uh, cause I think Katrina is kind of an archetypal first boot in Survivor, uh, unfortunately. 
uh, I think that you see very often, um, you know, the older woman on the tribe gets singled out and voted out because of what it is. And this is a young cast, too. Uh, and the Heroes Tribe, you know, there's Chrissy and Katrina there. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it just I hated it. and It made me sad because I really felt like Katrina had this incredible energy. And not that I thought that she would necessarily be able to win Survivor, but I thought that she could be a really great, steady presence and, and force uh, on the show and certainly really fun for entertainment value. So I was sad to see her go at the same time. I was like, well, this could be a kind of compelling interview because I don't know how it's going to go. Like, what is she going to be like the next day? And she ended up being like stunningly positive. Like she ended up being like so shockingly optimistic that it just I I walked away from that interview I don't know what I had been expecting but like really surprised with what I got that it wasn't emotional at all uh like she was totally good she was laughing uh you know she was a little hoarse you know she was like uh you know she had a little bit of a like the dry mouth and that had you know hacking up some coughs and stuff but she was good and like she had the energy of somebody who had been like ready to keep going if she had been able to stay another night, but also incredibly at peace with the fact that she was, that she was gone and that it was over for her. Uh, and that that's just the way it shook out. And she's done enough in her life that like, this won't define her. And that ended up being like a kind of profound thing for me of like not letting stuff define you, certainly not letting negative stuff define you, but not even letting one adventure define you. Um, and, you know, first went out uh, at the time was operating under a different uh, name, as you remember, <laughs> Taryn. Yeah. The, origi the original project name was Outcast, which is the name of the first chapter it's of First name. Went Out. <laughs> you know, I, but, but I, I do think like, I think it's a broader name, but I think First Went Out ended up like, I, I was thinking about it yesterday that like, it took so long for me to get over the fact that we weren't going to be able to use the name Outcast. Yeah. I think you felt the same way because it was just, it was great. And like, you know, outwit, outplay, outlast, outcast. It's a podcast that you're doing out on location. It just made so much sense. Uh, but for a bunch of reasons, we weren't able to use it. Uh, and it took a while for us to land on first one out. But I think it, it ended up being helpful to me in terms of kind of like the thesis of it, such as one exists, is like this really like heavy idea of dreaming about this experience for years and years and, you know, preparing for months and months and months, having gone through the casting process, which is a whole rigmarole, uh, you know, sacrificing weeks of your life of, of being with the people that you love uh, to, you know, potentially only like play three days of this thing and then have to sit on your hands for the next 36 days at least was like a, a devastating prospect for me. And uh, and Katrina just had this incredible attitude about it, which really like highlighted for me, like you're more than the one thing. Uh, and I think like to kind of like take like a really serious approach in like the dramatic readings of first one out and kind of like building up this sense of tension and like this horror of like somebody's dreams are about to be crushed. And then to walk away with it with like, you know, Katrina's message kind of being like, you know, don't take it so seriously. If you take it so seriously, that's where you get in trouble. Uh, and to like kind of like tell that story in a really serious way, like I thought was fun. Uh, and, and that was sort of like the creative engine uh, for first one out for for me. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of it. I think that you did an insane job. Uh, you know, I thought that you, you brought this whole thing together in such an incredible way. Uh, like the JP montage and the, you know, a lot of these montages are like pure Taron Frankenstein creations that were just spectacular. Um, I I'll never forget like hearing, uh, the transition from that first beat with, uh, you know, going from like the reading of the, of the first one out quote to like, just like the death 
of the tribal <laughs> generator just like shutting out. Like every time I every time I listened to it, like I never knew when it was going, uh, which was just so perfect. So there's just like all of these incredible flourishes that you brought to the table. So I hope you had fun. I mean, it was it was so much fun to put together for me. I hope you had a good time too. No, it was amazing. And like uh, I I did like when I was listening to the to the raw material, I really felt like this can be something that can be really fun. I loved the idea. And then, um, like you, you have a great, like you, you are a great writer and, and I think that you really did put together a great script for it. And, um, you know, like it was fun to be able to do something that was very creative, uh, for something that is so, uh, you know, it's, it's coverage, right? Like right, it's, yeah. it's cover, it's preseason coverage yes. of a reality competition <laughs> yeah. show. And we were doing something like that was very dramatic and serious. And I think, you know, like that might seem silly to some people, but it's a and, lot and, of fun and rightfully to put so. together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> rightfully so. Uh, you know, like I totally hear the people where like first one out did not land with people because it's like, wow, you guys are taking that seriously. Like <laughs> totally get it. Totally, totally, totally get it. We're definitely taking it really seriously. Uh, but I, but I, you know, I have said like, um, you know, the evolution of strategy is a, a podcast disguised as an audiobook. And for me, first one out was an audiobook disguised as a podcast where like it felt to me like there was there was something that we were driving towards the whole time. Uh, and it felt like it had like a beginning and a middle and an end. And like, you know, uh, like that pen penultimate chapter, which which I think is really fun. Uh, might seem a little superfluous in the moment, but I think sets up a lot of like where we're going for like the final message of the last episode, as it were. And to like hear Sonia kind of talk you through what it was like to be the first first one out and to sort of echo that with what the the most recent first one out is feeling. And honestly, their philosophies are pretty aligned across the years. And to like kind of connect them in that way, I thought was really, uh, was really, really neat. Um, but yeah, no, you, you were such a great collaborator. I mean, really the success of this podcast rides so much on, on your back and your ability to gut check me. Uh, I mean, how many different versions of episode two did we go through? <laughs> you know, a couple that was, you know, some birthing pains on episode two, like episode one was pretty fully formed. I felt, but episode two took a while for us to, to really chisel that. And I think you clarified a lot for me, uh, in the development of that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it, it was, it was episode two took a while. Yeah. <laughs> it took a while. <laughs> took a minute. Like, uh, I, think, I think like at least like three or four different versions of episode two exist. Uh, and not like, not by any, uh, for any reason, was it your fault that those first versions worked uh, or didn't work? It was completely on me. And you were such a champion about like, I feel like on your end, you must have been thinking like, well, let me string this together so he could hear it and know that it's not working. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Like, I think that must have been what was going through your mind. And like, kudos to you for, you know, champing through that was very helpful. Uh, no, and it was it, it, it was really so much fun. Like, uh, it, it, again, like it, it was just it's a chance to be creative and like as an like as an editor, as a video editor, as a as a as an audio editor, this, just like one of the first things I ever put together was for a video production class in college. And, uh, I had no idea what I was doing. I just took this little like flip cam out on a walk with me in Boston. I did, I shot like terrible shaky footage and I had no idea what to do with it. So I strung it together in editing. I put this like really cool song under it. And I'm just like, I, I, I spent like, to like uh, 24 hours like straight just editing this thing into something that I actually ended up really liking and that was what I like really loved about editing it's what made me fall in love with editing and 
basically like ever since then i've never really had the opportunity to like be very creative in editing like it's it's usually very straightforward like i worked as a, a for a for a you know a point of sale company making like uh tutorial videos and stuff i made marketing videos for like this nonprofit and like travel videos and stuff like that but it's all it's very straightforward but yeah. like so to the opportunity to uh to do something very creative where there's a lot of freedom in editing and and like being able to make flourishes and and make creative decisions and, and stuff like that was uh, was a lot of fun and it's it's been a while since I've been able to do that so I, I like thank you for um, creating the platform to, to allow me to do my that. pleasure a hundred percent my pleasure and a hundred percent reciprocated for uh, for everything that you've done and like for me you know to, to bring it back to comic book writing like the you know at its best and like I got to do like a couple of things that never went anywhere uh, but like at its best when you when you are creating a comic book from just like the little bit of experience that I have in certainly from like the process of like interviewing a ton of people in the first part of my career where that was really all I did was comic book journalism. Um, like your best, your best stuff, or at least the most enjoyable stuff is going to be like when you have an incredible collaboration where like, where, where someone just like, uh, you know, between writer and artist where, where like you just both like bring so much to the table or like one of you can just like slap the other in the face and like, no, that's not working. And like, maybe you just need to see it in order to like that level of collaboration. I really felt that here with first one out that you just brought so many great ideas to the table. And there is zero doubt in my mind at all that this project would be worse if you were not involved in it. And it is so much better because of everything that you brought to it. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, if, if it was any, like any kind of footnote that I could have helped you add to the summer of Taryn uh, <laughs> made, made me really happy to, to contribute to that and just to, to get a chance to to watch you work was was super cool for me. Oh, thank thank you so much. Uh, it's it's been awesome. So, uh, will there be another one? Yeah, uh, that's a question that I that I've been getting. I mean, um, I feel it, it's it's like that thing of like uh, uh, like don't ask me if I'm going to have another kid after I've just given birth <laughs> kind of deal. Yeah. I mean, for me, like very legitimately, like you know, making this was hard, uh, and like it got like got like emotionally challenging uh like there was a lot of like like oddly like a lot of like physical effort involved in creating first one out like i had to go to like a very specific place to record the audio in order for it to like sound okay uh so that required like actually like being away um from from my home for like decent stretches of time uh and you know um emily lost her grandmother uh, in early September, end of August. And like, right after that, we lost one of our two kitties, uh, who like, we don't have kids. Those, you know, people like make fun of the parent, you know, the cat parents and stuff, but like, they're like our kids, you know, we, they, we, we take them very seriously and we have a lot of love for them. And it was, it was, it was horrible. And those two things happened, um, during the recording. And it was like, really, for me, it was like there was a time where it was like a, like a real existential crisis of like, why am I talking about survivors so much in such like an impassioned <laughs> way when like life is happening in an extreme way right now? Um, so it's like it was really it was really difficult to do. Um, but it was also it was an outlet in that same way of like, um, you know, it, it was emotionally helpful uh, to, to have that stuff to kind of like pour your attention and your creative energy into um, so right now, just like the thought of digging into something of that size again, like I need some time. Um, certainly there's something, uh, there, there may or may not be something that we, uh, we may or may not have in the works for 36. Uh, I can say that I was out there for 36 because that is, uh, that is revealed at the end of, uh, first one out. Um, but as far as first one out goes, I don't really know, uh, 
what more I have to say about it. And and I think also like the you'll never get like that same punch of like hearing Sonia Christopher for the first time. You know, like I feel like that's so much fun. Um, and just like I, I feel like the mission statement on first one out uh, for me was like really selling the idea of, you know, if you're dreaming about this thing, pursue that dream fully, whatever dream that is, like pursue it fully. Um, go for it. Even if you fail, you 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 chased the dream at worst. Um, you know, you put everything that you had behind it. Uh, and that's, you know, that was the message that Katrina supplies uh, in, in her interview with me and just like her queerly, her just her philosophy generally. Uh, and I don't know that there's like more to say about the subject of, of being the first one out. You know, I think that those stories have been told, at least from my perspective. I'm certainly not closed off to like doing more like really fun, cool ways of tackling the preseason. Um, I'm just a little bit at a loss of like how exactly to do that and how how exactly to format that. And I'm sure an idea will come. Um, and it could even be like a second first one out if there's like a really good idea for it, but there would have to be a really good reason to do it. And I'm not there yet. I haven't figured that out yet. So, and also like very much like the message for me uh, was like, maybe, hey, you, Josh Wiggler, maybe you take some of this stuff a little less seriously. Uh, <laughs> so like, you know, like maybe you can walk away from this stuff a little bit more. So I'm I'm uh, still mentally grappling with with a little bit of that as well. Uh, so there will certainly be something for 36. Uh, I can I can say that much. Can't say what it's going to be yet. Uh, but uh, beyond that, who knows? The you know the future will bring what it brings. Darren Armstrong. Yeah. Well, one of the one of the other interesting parts for me was that um, like the level of information that that first went out had where it's where it was like like especially like me like knowing the events of the premiere like for months before the premiere actually aired, like right. anticipating this huge episode, and then it's like one hour and like I you know. barely see any of it. Yeah. Um, it really made me appreciate the fact that I knew all of that stuff because I felt like otherwise I really would have missed out. Um, and it, it brought me back to like one of the reasons why I love Big Brother is because you see everything. And one of the, my frustrations with Survivor is that it feels like you're you're looking through a little hole and there's so much more on the other side, but you just can't see it no matter how you try to look. Um, and and first one out was like a behind the scenes sort of like in, in many ways, like at least at the very least, listening to uh, Probst and Van Wagnon uh, describe what was happening was like listening to somebody tell me about what's happening on the live feeds. Like they were the live feed correspondents on Survivor and first one out. Uh, so it felt like there was a lot more information. It felt much. It felt like a, a much bigger picture. And I, this is one of the most co uh, common responses I think I've seen from first one out. Is like, man, I wish you guys had. I wish Josh had stayed out there for the I whole know. season <laughs> because we want like this level of information yeah. the whole time. Uh, and so, I mean, I think there's there's obvious value in that, regardless of the vehicle it sits in. Um, and uh, it's something that I really enjoyed about it. Yeah, no, and it's definitely something that I loved uh, as well and, and putting that aspect of it together. Uh, and that goes back to like what I said before is like, I, you know, I really do. How many people get to get to play Survivor? How many people get to work on Survivor? How many people are lucky enough to just like have eyes on it directly for even a week? Uh, I feel immeasurably grateful uh, to, you know, the, uh, the the crazy people who allowed me to do this. And there are many of them. Uh, you know, I, I, I feel very lucky that I that I get to do what I do for a living. And because I get to do it for a living, like I feel like I got to take it fairly seriously and I have to do it to its fullest. Uh, and in that regard, like I really do, 
I want to translate the experience of what it's like to be out there and see what I see as close to accurately as possible. Uh, in the case of this season, there is like a decent amount on the editing room floor, but normally like I'll, I'll really like squeeze the sponge all the way, like with, um, with second chance and game changers. There were like very few moments that I left behind. Uh, there was just so much material that we had to work with here that like it could have, you know, what did it net out to like 10 hours or so? Like we could have gotten very easily to like 15 or 16, but it just wouldn't have all been like a really great 15 or 16, but there's bonus material out there that I'm sure we'll, we'll find ways to, to make that see the light of day eventually. Um, but I really want to make sure that you're getting as close to the accurate version of my experience as humanly possible. And I do think we did that with, with, uh, with this one. And um, anytime that I get to go out there, uh, that will always be my goal is, uh, no matter, again, like you say, like whatever the vehicle it's in, whether it's first one out or some other goofy project, or even if it's just like straight up interviews that I'm going to, you know, bring to, to Rob or whatever, uh, or even if it's just my writing, like I'll always try to like give you that information as best as I possibly can. Cause I feel immeasurably lucky that I get to, to witness it and experience it and own it firsthand. Uh, and I feel uh, a lot of us are super invested in this crazy, crazy island show. And I want to, I want to bring, I want to bring the goods to those people. Uh, so uh, it's certainly, um, you know, if I'm lucky enough to get to go back out there, uh, I will, I will continue to to serve that uh, responsibility as best as I can. Awesome, yeah. Uh, and and I, I don't think you need to worry about being uh, too serious about Survivor because, like. <laughs> Uh, I feel like the seriousness that we that we brought to first one out was in many ways us having as much fun with the experience as possible. You know, yeah. like it was it's fun to be it's fun to take this thing that is very goofy. And that's sort of what Survivor is, because Survivor could be Big Brother. Survivor could be the challenge or something like that. But it's not. It kind of tries to take itself a little more seriously. And we know it's not. It's just a, such sure. a bunch of people playing a dumb game on an island. But at the same time, it's it's fun to sort of. Uh, to try to bring something else to it and to try to like, like, the, like take it seriously and, and, and do something fun with it. And that's, uh, that, that was fun for me. And I think it was fun for you as well. Yeah. And I, I think to that point, um, for me, like I've never played the game, obviously I have no idea what I'm talking about anytime I talk about strategy, but what I, what I have done is I've gone out there and I've seen the game played and I've seen the game made. Uh, and I know how much personal sacrifice goes into playing the game uh, just from talking to people and knowing what they're leaving behind and knowing what they're physically enduring in order to, to go out there and like seeing some of that and having competed in the challenges. Uh, and I'm a horrible athlete to begin with, but even if I was a decent athlete, I think I would be walking away from those being like, man, those are a excellently designed and B what an ass kicker. Uh, and then the other piece of it is, I know I, I have some level of understanding of like how seriously the people who craft the show take it. Uh, they live and breathe this show and they don't always get it right. You know, like you said, like it is that little peephole uh, that like no matter what angle you're getting into it, you're only seeing Survivor through a certain lens. And that's, you know, it's by design. Like there can't be the live feeds for a show like this. Um, every episode can't be two hours, despite the fact that it can be in Australia. <laughs> you know, everything. Ha I think a premiere ought to be. Uh, mm -hmm. I will say I do think a premiere ought to be at least 90 minutes. Uh, ideally two hours if you can get it. Uh, and I do, uh, I do mourn the fact 
that the first episode of Triple H was as short as it was, and it did feel really fast. Um, but I, I think that like they they are doing the very best that they can, and they mean that very earnestly. And sometimes you don't agree with like the twists that they're implementing, um, or you know just their their philosophy on the game overall. But in terms of like the physical boots on the ground or beach feet in the mud, as you know, <laughs> Ashley might say, uh, like that stuff is so real and it's uh, it's so impressive to to watch this show get made that I feel like to some degree uh, I I do take it incredibly seriously for those reasons that like there is so much personal sacrifice involved, of course, with the players, but also with the crew uh, in terms of like the physical toil that it takes on your body, um, but also the amount of time that you are away from your life otherwise. Uh, a lot is on the line when you are playing and making Survivor. Uh, and, I, and I felt like if at least for one project only to take that mega seriously would, like you're saying, like, A, it would be fun. Like, uh, I, I goofed off a little bit in those recording sessions, as <laughs> I'm sure you heard here and there in the raw audio. Uh, but, like, it, it was fun to, like, kind of um, to, to take it so seriously. But I think also it is worth taking seriously or at least stopping to acknowledge that, like, Survivor, unlike, you know, it make this is like completely um this goes without saying for like anybody who's listened this far into this podcast would would tell you but like survivor isn't like keeping up with the kardashians you know like survivor isn't just like it's not just manufactured drama uh like people are really living this thing uh and like it is a goofy ass show uh but people go through some very serious stuff in order to create that goofy ass show and i will spend a full season like making fun of them ruthlessly so i feel like at the very least to like you know at the top of a season like tip my cap to those people and like acknowledge uh what they endured uh in order to to go out there uh, felt important and yeah definitely did feel very fun yeah and it's i mean it's an important show i mean again as we talked about at the start where it's like these things, like whether they're a, it's a TV show, a movie, a fictional universe, like these things, they do matter. They they do matter to people, um, and uh, and I think it's important to to respect that. But uh, I believe uh, that's all the time we have. Uh, it was a super sized Terran show today. Super sized Terran show. Yeah, we went. Oh my God, we've gone for a while. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do we have a hashtag? Ooh, a hashtag. Hashtag uh, best bends. <laughs> hashtag the bends. <laughs> hashtag the bends. With a Z. With a Z, yes. Let's do the bends. Hashtag yeah. the bends. Best bends. All bend. right. <laughs> So you can find the uh, the podcast on iTunes, The Terran Show. You can also find it on the Reality TV Rehap Ups feed. Uh, there's there's tons of stuff, uh, other stuff that you can find there as well. Um, and uh, make sure you tweet at us. I'm at Armstrong Terran. Josh is at Round Howard. Um, and, That's uh, me! Yes. Uh, so tweet at us with that hashtag. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us. We will see you next time. Terran's asking questions. It's the Terrence Show So you and me can know It's the Terrence